0: You wanted Pepsi Watson back on this podcast. (laughs) December of last year, he came on, told us his story, the harrowing account of what they did to him in Young Offenders, and the responses have been absolutely overwhelming. Loads of people saying, when's he coming back on? We're at a quarter million views right now in six months. Every month it just keeps going up, 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 up. And we did touch on last time, some of the books we read, including 48 Laws of Power, Banned in Arizona Prisons, this, Techniques, Prisoners Picking Up, Using It on People, Robert Green, highly recommend it. So this podcast is going to be structured around the first five laws from the 48 Laws of Power with prison stories, so it's the 48 Laws of Power in prison. And stories from pepsi's life and prison life but first how does it feel to be back on the podcast uh it's a little bit surreal sean uh
1: (laughs) like now i'm here uh we just drove down here uh, but i was really looking forward to it um so yeah it's it's good to be back i've been extremely busy working on a range of different projects the first podcast that we did on the 20th of december it 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 was life changing i've just been completely inundated with internet traffic messages uh not not just from people in the united kingdom but people all over the world america canada finland sri lanka australia all over the place sweden switzerland and it's just been non-stop it's been non-stop and it's given me a new purpose and the place that I was at even though I was in the probation hostel when I came up here and I hadn't been out for very long I'd only been out for four months I was still in a good place like with mental health I was clean and I was in a good place but um and felt like I was moving in the right direction very strongly but the podcast just opened up doors for me that that um
0: I never thought possible really that is just blowing me away, honestly. Because some people say, you know, your, your channel is like glor- glorifying crime and prison, all this kind of stuff. Yet you've come in here today and said that this has had life, profound life changes for you since you you came on, and people all over the world have reached out and, and offered to help you, and things have happened—profound
1: life-changing experiences. And it hasn't just changed and impacted my life it's impacted on the people around me who I love and care about and who love and care about me. It's brought joy and happiness into their lives as well. And the children in my life and my mum. Uh, it's just been, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Very, I just, you humbled. just popped
0: up on my YouTube feed, um, Pepsi Watson on Russian television talking about Julian Assange. How did that come about? RT
1: UK got in touch with me. They'd just, they'd seen a video. Um, like I said, I get so much internet traffic from a whole range of different people, <clears throat> excuse me. And they just contacted me and they said, will you come down and give an interview on prison conditions? So I went down there, yeah, and it was a, a great, uh, great experience. Made some good contacts there with RTUK. Uh, I was inspired by the work ethic of the journalists and the cameramen that I met, and it was a great experience.
0: Yeah. Well, I've been inspired just watching your channel grow. And if anyone out there has not yet subbed or gone over and viewed Pepsi's videos, the link to his channel is in the description box below this video. If you're on your phone, click that down arrow. That box opens up. You'll see all the links to Pepsi's channel and his other socials. So to start out then, I've read this button about five times. And law one just read a bit never outshine the master always make those above you feel comfortably superior in your desire to please or impress them do not go too far in displaying your talents or you might accomplish the opposite inspire fear and insecurity make your masters appear more brilliant than they are and you will attain the heights of power (laughs) (laughs) yes it's really
1: interesting stuff so yeah you've you've read that first law out so before i get onto that first law i'll just like to talk about my experience with the book so i was first introduced to this book in hmp wayland in round about 2009 there's a lot of people on the unit reading the book and other books like machiavelli the art of war and such like and um, the book came with a warning and I remember reading the warning at the start and then putting the book down for like two weeks. Cause I was like, shall I read it? Shall I not read it? And I remember feeling like in a bit of conflict about reading it because I was going through therapy and feeling all spiritual. And uh, I, I eventually took the decision to read it. And it's a, it's a fa- fascinating book. It documents the last 3000 years of all the successful emperors and how they rose and how they fell and how, nearly in all occasions, they're always brought down by the people close to them. So hundreds of years ago, if you upset the king, he would put your head in a guillotine and cut your head off. So over the centuries, people in the courts around the king and close to the king developed and devised ways of of what I could describe as mastering the art of indirectness. Yeah. Um, And that's what the book teaches you and it's very powerful and it teaches you that if you tackle people head on, it's very counterproductive and and damaging to yourself. So we have to master the art of indirectness if we're going to survive in a prison, an extreme environment like a prison, or if we're trying to attain the, the heights of power. So I'll give you one example of something, what I mean by indirectness. So if I'm in prison... And I walk into the Governor's office or Unit manager's office, who is a powerful figure in the prison. He's got a lot of power, authority, he's got influence over parole reports, stuff like that um so building rapport with him would be something skillful for me to do to help me survive and achieve my objectives of getting out. um If I go into his office and I see like a golfing trophies on the mantelpiece then I wouldn't just blurt out, oh, I like golf. So I would, I would practice the art of indirectness. So in an ideal scenario in that instance, I would preferably orchestrate a scenario or a situation where that governor or unit manager overhears me talking about golf, like maybe on association or down the gym or wherever I, wherever I can orchestrate the situation. And that's a seed sown. Yeah, because these things take time, Sean. These things take time. You can't just, you know, do these things overnight. These things take time. But when we're in custody, we have time, you know. And it can take you years in prison to 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 to, to rise to a powerful position in the prison. And um, so I would orchestrate that situation. I would sow the seed. I would make sure he overheard me talking about golf, and then I would subtly bring it up during another another time. And then, long story short, eventually we've got a common ground. And that's what they call in the American penitentiaries a doorway. I've now got a doorway into this governor. I've now got a mutual ground. So that would be an example that I would talk
0: about. Um, like Shawshank, where he doing taxes was his doorway. Yeah, yeah. He started to do the the taxes and then the governor, and then,
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. Yeah, that's what happened. Um, and that—that's not to say that you know in during this process, and when you've achieved that objective, that it doesn't come with you know another whole host of difficulties and challenges, like we saw in the film Shawshank Redemption. You know, it led to all sorts of different problems and such like. But yeah, so go. So law one, so law one, never, never out- outside, the, the master. The master.
0: Well, I saw a situation where the head of the white gang. He was getting egotistical. And um, the guy under him was kind of behaving himself. But then when the head of the white gang lost the fight to the head of the blacks, um, the head of the whites fell hard. And this other guy took over. There was like a mutiny. So, go on, let's, let's go with it. Yeah, so, I mean, with a lot of these laws, and specifically
1: this one, the book teaches us about awareness. If you as a man do not have the ability to recognize um, and have the awareness of how you come across to others, then it's going to be very difficult for you to survive in the extreme environment of a level four, level five, level three American penitentiary. Like supermax. Yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, and in the free world, in the work environment, because if you don't have a, an awareness of how you come across, then you're completely blind going into all these situations. So this, this law is very helpful and, and important. I've seen many men suffer due to the lack of awareness uh, of this law's important, um, important. So for me, I'll give you an example. Um, it was when I was out, I was, I was involved in drug dealing, uh, something I'm not proud of but it's it's in the past and you know all I can do is to just try and make skillful decisions today to make amends to help society as opposed to what I used to do which was to harm society but I'll give you an example so I used to work for a scouser called Terminator he he was from from Liverpool from Toxteth he used to give me large amounts of uh, uh, of drugs and he used to run his operation in Norwich through fear, violence, torture. And, um, he, he would, I was working for him for quite a while for about a year. And then I started, I started just doing things with somebody else with my friend Rocky. And we just started doing our own things. And, um, this, this Terminator had been about for a lot of years and it had, um, a kind of grip on, a proportion of the 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 narcotics market in that city, a proportion of it, not not a huge portion of it, but a proportion of it. And I just started outshining him. I, I showed him that I was better than him, I could do it better than him. I started moving much bigger amounts than him. And when we outshine the master and those who are superior to us. What we do, we inspire insecurity in them because all people have insecurities. So when we arouse those insecurities, um, we, we, we put ourselves in a very dangerous situation. And he just, he, this thing with him just escalated so much. He was chasing me around the city with firearms. It got to the point where I would stay in a girl's flat, leave at 11 o'clock in the morning, and within two or three hours, he'd be there with four other people in the car, and then I'd be getting stories and hearing, getting messages that they had a gun. Um, and he ended up getting hold of me and taking me to the woods and viciously attacking me with, with, with a knuckle duster. And um, that, that, that's what happened with, with Terminator and outshining him. So with a lot of these laws, I've kind of learned I've learned the the hard way, Sean. How could you, you know? have avoided that situation? By always making him, who was above me, feel more superior. So playing down my own talents and skills and abilities and always, you know, not excessively because excessive praise can, can be counterproductive as well. But to, to, to just, you know, make him feel that I needed him and, and that would have maintained the relationship and would have prevented it escalating. And when it escalated in that situation, it escalated very quickly, very quickly.
0: I had a situation very similar, but from the other perspective. So I'm rising up the ranks, and then I've got like locked down the ecstasy market mm. in Arizona. And then Sammy the Balls crew comes in. They're my competitors. My top sales guy, Skinner, he gets his teeth knocked out by Sammy the Balls crew. But Skinner poisons another one of my guys, because Skinner's now plotting against me, mm. thinking he can take over my organization because I moved 100 miles away after Sammy the Bull's crew knocked this guy's teeth out. So he's thinking, I can grab the organization now while he's gone out of Phoenix. So he poisons one of my bouncers, Vince, against me. So anyway, I've got Vince and my wife assigned to pick up pills in Holland. And I get a call from my wife um, saying that she got high and she had sex with Vince. And wow. while she was high with Vince, she got him talking and he, he spilled a bean saying that him and Skinner were going to take over the organization and I was on my way down and they were on the way up. So when Vince got back to Arizona, to the airport, I had to have some of my friends have a word with him and, and correct that situation very quickly because they were coming up rising up and trying to do what you just described yeah can cause problems and it caused problems for them
1: and it's another great example sean because what you just described these things happen very quickly they escalate quickly yes and you're so deep in it you're just in it and 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 it's made me think of another thing that's important with the 48 laws of power and what it teaches you it teaches you the importance of the 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 need to have presence of mind um and if we don't don't have presence of mind in, in extreme environments such as prison such as prison or when we're trying to attain the heights of power it it's virtually impossible to achieve um you know power and 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 to survive. You know, if you're, if you're on a level four yard in America and you're just, you know, you, you got football numbers time and everything's going against you, you just hate in life and, you know, but you're trying and you're training and, you know, you're doing your best. Um, but every kite that's, that's coming it, it, it under the door is just negative and politics and drama. You know, if you don't have presence of mind, you, you, you're just not going to be able to survive. You're not going to be able to survive because presence of mind. The 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 and, and, and another kind of part of that presence of mind, Sean, is the need to master emotional control, and it's easier said than done. Uh, this can take decades for a lot of people. You know, anger is so self-destructive. So. In Buddhism, they teach you that anger is the same as pouring, boiling water over your head. You know, no powerful person who's been in power long term, no um, shock caller in a level five, level four, level three yard has terrible, uh, poor emotional control. These people have, you know, men who lead countries and women who lead countries are masters of emotional control, and they do not allow anger to impact on on, on their decisions. They, they just don't. They don't allow it to. They have presence of mind, so they can take a step back and regroup, and it gives you time to, to to and space to consider your options. If you've got presence of mind, if you don't have presence of mind, then because a lot of times in prison, Sean. People who are skilled in this kind of stuff, this kind of velvet glove stuff, psychological warfare, it's all about isolating people and making them self-destruct without you even touching them. And then when that happens and you self-destruct, even though I'm the orchestrator of that, I'm there putting my arm around you, (laughs) saying, do you need any help? Like, you know, that that would be an ideal scenario of, of you know you, you you being successful in in isolating somebody for whatever reason you wanted to do that so this stuff is is it's 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 very deep and it's very difficult to read the book and then for this stuff to not become like a working part of the mind but I actually think the forty eight laws is and can be a very positive book this book has improved my relationships with other people it's helped me to survive in here like in the free world and in prison. Um, So, yeah, it's a fantastic book. It helped me to excel massively in the free world and the restaurant industry. And,
0: um, yeah, it's brilliant. And people should read Mastery as well because you were just talking about equanimity, Mm. performing best in life, being balanced mentally. Robert Greene's book Mastery is all about that, the whole thing. So just going Mm. back to Never Outshine the Master, Mm. Robert Greene, when he writes these books, he always has a violation of the law and when you can get away with violating the law yeah, like a reversal but, yeah so earlier on i dropped in there about the head of the whites fought the head of the blacks lost and the, the underling took over but this is a case of when you can outshine the master because this guy had the ability to do what he did the underling so just to fill in that story a little bit more and perhaps you've got a prison story you can add to this when when i get through with this what happened was, the head of the whites, Carter, were in a Towers Jail, 2002, 45-man pod, four gangs, whites, blacks, Mexicans, Mexican-Americans. So 45 divided by four, approximately. Um, you've got that many white woods, is what they call them. So it's Aryan Brotherhood controlled at the top level. So they've got this guy, Carter, running the whites in this tower, Tower 6, it was, Maricopa County Jail. So, Carter is quite, he's quite cocky, but when the, he got this new, they call him Torpedoes, <laughs> the guys who do the dirty work. This this new torpedo came in called Grave Digger. Grave Digger was like six foot nine. He's got like the devil puppet on his on his chest, and he's just got these like lethal like hyena eyes, yeah. and in a previous tower, he got moved over to our tower because he had a guy down, he had his like he had him like his arms locked. Um, I think he had his arms locked in his legs, and then he was just chiseling this guy's head in, just chisel, 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 chisel this guy's head in. So this guy was just a complete bloody mess. And the guards were just watching it, and like it was like I think they enjoyed watching this guy fight. He was like a cage fighter and everything. Yeah. So when Gravedigger arrived in our tower, Carter's cockiness went off the scale he was the head of the whites and now he's got this goon who can do any dirty work for him mm. so as he got cockier and cockier Carter he called out the black the head of the blacks he called him like a, um, no he told him to stop bullying mem- members of all the races because all the races were getting bullied by this head of the blacks he'd never lost any fight and when he said that to the black guy he had Gravedigger next to him and the black guy goes I ain't listening to no white boy tell me what to do and he says... He called him a punk-ass bitch. Now, if you call a head of a, a gang a punk-ass bitch, that's automatic fight. Mm. So they go into the cell under the stairs. He got beat once. Everyone says, you've got to go back in and fight him again because he just ran out. Yeah. He went back in. Gravedigger stood up and goes, you've got to man up and go back in. You've sent him back in. Comes out, bangs his head against the thing. And it, in the end, Gravedigger's just looking down at me like, roll your shit up. As, as in, get your mattress, get the get the hell out of here. Yeah. So... And then Gravedigger just looked at all of the other whites and said, I'm the new head of the whites. Does anyone have a problem with that? And he just went and looked at each one like that. And nobody said anything. (laughs) So that's an example of when you can get away without shining the master.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And it's a great story. And uh, with a lot of the laws and the 48 laws of power, more often than not, there is the exception to the rule bar a handful and what you just described, that story, is is a great example of just kind of like the natural sort of evolution or of, or of of, of of a yard in prison. You know, people come, people go, things change, all is impermanent, you know, nothing stays the same. And the politics change. That's 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 another thing that is a complete mind screw in prison. You know, the politics are this one minute but then people come and go and things change and you've got stuff for the COs and the guards, you know, they change. They might have alliances with the Mexicans or the Hispanics or, you know, or, or the blacks or whatever group they've got alliances with that can change the politics. And then you've got to adapt. Again, you've got to have presence of mind and you've got to have emotional control to be able to to survive and stay alert and jump off that bed every single time that door, open, door opens because you can't be laying in bed when your door opens in those kind of prisons. You've got to be up with your boots on, you know, out the door, you know, even, even in this country in prisons, you know, in in kind of, they are violent. You know, when I was in, on B-Wing in Winchester, every 23-hour bang-up, every time the door opened, it used to just go off. It used to kick off. It was always, um, there was always, there's a lot of stabbings, ins up on the fours, on the threes with the young lads, and it was always kicking off. And every time that door opened, you know, you would get up, put your shoes on, even if you you're half asleep, Sean, sure, and you just, even just stand outside your door, just so you're not you're not it, 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 putting yourself in a in in kind of a, a vulnerable situation. But to to wrap up that first law, in every law in Robert Greene's Forty Eight Laws of Power book, you have what he describes as keys to power, and what he says on keys to power on never outshining the master is everybody has insecurities, like I said at the start. When you show yourself in the world and display your talents, you naturally stir up all kinds of ill feeling and envy and resentments in others. At the same time, you cannot worry uh, you know, or spend your lifetime worrying about the feelings of others. But Robert Greene says, with those above you and close to you, you must take a different approach. When it comes to power, outshining the master
0: is perhaps the worst mistake of all. I'm glad you're reinforcing all this because um, things are just clicking in my head listening to you speak. Yeah, it's powerful, yeah. All right, so we are on the 48 laws of power in prison, law number two. I'm just going to read a summary here. Never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. Be wary of friends. They will betray you more quickly. For they are easily aroused to envy Oddly enough, I've been writing about Pablo Escobar now for the past five years, and one of his favorite quotes was, more people die from envy in Colombia than cancer. They also become spoiled and tyrannical, but hire a former enemy, and he will be more loyal than a friend, because he has more to prove. In fact, you have more to fear from friends than from enemies. If you have no enemies... Find a way to make them. So, before I hand it over to you, just going back to the Skinner story that I mentioned in Law One. <clears throat> so, I get to Arizona and all the local rave people, their nickname for me is the Bank of England. So, I harmonize all these little cliques that were competing into one organization. Skinner becomes my top sales guy, spending a lot of time with Skinner. Partying our asses off on the weekends together and all this stuff. Everything's going really good. Wildman come over, my best friend from childhood. So I'm now spending a lot of time with Wildman. Skinner's not a very big guy, but Wildman's this huge guy that Skinner is intimidated by. So now I've got two of my closest friends, and they're yeah. developing this dislike of each other. And at the end of the day. Our organization fell because of witness statements. There was 10 witness statements. Mm. And the main witness that gave him the most information about the inside of the organization was Skinner, who was my friend, who knew the most because he was my friend. Yeah.
1: And the, the, j- right on that point, Sean, um, there's a, a quote, and it's just a few words. And this is from the 16th century from the mistress of Henry the Second of France. And it says, to have a good enemy, choose a friend. He knows where to strike. <laughs> and when I revised this law and read that, it just made it. The first thing that came to my mind was we see this unfold a lot in the male female relationship, because when that male female relationship breaks down a woman, always exception to the rule, but more often than not, a woman can't physically hurt a man. So she knows where to strike him, and she will she will she will punish her former partner in that natural process when love turns to hate um, and it, it's quite a, it's quite a, a, a in my opinion, it's quite a natural feeling to want revenge on people when we feel harmed, but again, I reiterate, and I say again, you know the importance of having that uh, presence of mind and to 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 you know the god of war you sort of go and slightly off topic, but into the art of war stuff, the, the, the God of war is someone who is the master of emotions and stratagem and, and, and is somebody who, who, who constantly responds and not reacts, Sean, to an ever changing and ever flowing, um, series of events and situations and scenarios, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some interpretation here. So on all the laws, there's, Robert Greene's got some interpretation, and it's quite kind of apt. So it says, A Chinese proverb compares friends to the jaws and teeth of a dangerous animal. <laughs> if you are not careful, you will find these jaws chewing you up. Emperor Sung, when he took the throne, knew his friends in the army would chew him up, so he bribed his fellow generals with big properties far away which was a better option than to kill them, which would only infuriate other generals. Instead of relying on friends, Sung used his enemies to further his interests. Sung used his enemies, one after the other, transforming them into far more reliable subjects. A friend expects more and more favors and seethes with envy, yet former enemies expect nothing but get everything. A man suddenly spared from the guillotine is a very grateful man and will go to the ends of the earth for the man who saved him. So, you know, why Why are the people closest to us, Sean, so aroused to envy? Now, envy is the ugliest of all human emotion. It's not an emotion that we are open and transparent about admitting. Oh, I'm jealous of you, Sean. I feel jealous of you, you know. Um, and again, the book undoes the stereotype. Honesty does not always strengthen relationships. So in therapy and stuff like that, I'll oh, be honest. You know, does my bum look big in this? Your girlfriend? Yes. That's not going to strengthen your relationship. So you lie. Yeah. So the reason people close to us are so easily aroused to envy. So I, I, I kind of break down envy into two things. I call one like kind of like a natural envy. So we naturally arouse envy in the people closest to us if we are intelligent, if we ha- are handsome and have good looks, if we are exceptionally skilled in some particular talent, wealth. Um, and this kind of, this kind of, we can downplay intelligence, but those kind of things, you know, naturally we're going to arouse envy in others. Then we have like a different, the, the, the other kind of envy that I would, w- would talk about would be kind of an envy that we purposely arouse in others. And a great example, and I know this is going to click straight in your head when I say it, because it happens every single day in the custodial prison environment. When somebody gets some good news, they run around the landing and run around the wing telling everybody and telling people who they hardly ever speak to you know, and I'm in my cell and I've got all these people coming to my door. Oh, I've got my tag. I'm getting out. And I've got an indeterminate sentence. Very dispe- disrespectful. You probably get smashed in, in America for it. Um, and, you know, but it could be anything. It could be nothing to do with getting out. It could, any kind of good news, you know, they come and they ram it down your throat and you might be having a day from hell and you just, around, And like I said, if you don't have the awareness how you're coming across, you're going to stir up hatred towards you because it's all magnified in prison it's so intense times a hundred you know and um on the reversal sean when i get good news you know it's it's it takes a lot of discipline for me not to come and ram it down your throat and i'm sitting on this good news and it is so difficult you know And, and and i had to learn this i had to learn this and then i would I would crumble and cave in, and I'd go and tell someone, but then I'd regret telling them because I would assess it in my mind, and I would be like, what, "What benefit was there in telling this person?" You know, there was no benefit. It hasn't improved any of my life at all. So over time, I just, I just learned to, to, to kind of, you know, have the discipline to not ram good news down people's throats because it,
0: it just, it just upsets people, you know. Yeah, in prison. I had a lot of co-defendants in the jail system in the beginning. This is Towers Jail again, now Maricopa County. And one of my co-defendants was called Joey Crack. The Italian mafia guys we clicked up with in the jail, he put him in, my, in with my cell as a cellmate with me. And Joey Crack had a friend in the cell next door. The skinny kid didn't look like anything, but he was a kickboxer and big dudes would pick on him. And he was he was he had such a powerful punch he would knock them out and they would invariably crap on themselves Mm. so the kickboxing kid he a female guard came to his cell one day and he looks up and he sees her and he's like he basically like falls in love with this woman and he starts writing her poems and everything and she starts pulling him out of the cell and and telling him you know go to the broom closet and stuff like this and they're, they're starting to get it on yeah so He brags to Joey Crack. Joey Crack tells me, I'm like, nah, she's, this this woman was stunning, brunette, God. I was like, nah, he's just making this up. And Joey Crack goes, no, he's not. After lockdown, 10 o'clock at night, he jumps on the toilet and he dances naked for it at the front of the cell. So at 10 o'clock at night, come to the front of your cell and look out the window. And she was just like smiling up at him and he's like, I can't see him, but I, I understand what's going on. So um, he's got this absolutely brilliant situation going for himself in prison, which is quite unique. But he started to tell too many of his friends, and those friends are then thinking, "Why don't I get in some? Maybe if I snitch him out, I can, I can try and seduce her next." Yeah. All these envious thoughts are going through the, these guys' heads, and they're plotting against him. So. That lasted for about two weeks before someone dropped a kite and she was moved. And, when we, and when, we, when, we, um,
1: when we develop an awareness of this ugly emotion of envy and recognize how potentially dangerous it is, we start to see the signs of it. So the earliest signs, once you read and study this stuff, you see it all the time. You see it all the time. The earliest signs will be criticism, little criticisms. So I'll tell you something positive and you'll just say something negative about the positive thing that I've told you. And then straight away, it's I don't know, it's like a sixth sense. I, I just see that as danger. Now, on the subject of friends, when I was... A chronic recidivist who continually committed serious violent offences and I was in and out of prison with no regard for victims of crime no regard for the harm that I was causing society and I was selfish and entrenched with pro-criminal thinking and completely distorted attitudes about life and people and blah 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 when when I was like that I had a lot of friends I had a wide range of friends all sorts of different friends and none of them were positive influencers whether we were stealing cars or out burgling or robbing or whatever we were doing and this is from a very early age twelve thirteen, fourteen, you know all the way up until I was given an indeterminate sentence when the the courts had just had enough of me and gave, gave me this ninety nine year indeterminate sentence at age twenty four you know i I had all these all, all you know this big group of friends today in my life so i mean that was thirteen years ago. Today in my life, I don't really have friends, yeah? And the reason I don't have friends is because I'm extremely ambitious, Sean, and I'm trying, um, I'm working on a wide range of different projects. I'm trying to finish my degree, which has took me many years at the Open University. I'm trying to finish my degree. I'm working on a business plan to set up my own business. I'm not going to go too much into what that is, but it's kind of um, legal orientated, criminal justice orientated. I'm working on that plan to pitch money at the end of the pitch for money for a loan at the end of the summer. I'm immersed in the service of others and trying to help others and trying to help people instead of harm people like I used to before. I'm I'm engaged in a lot of quite draining and challenging activism with politicians and the British government to try and get things changed and fighting for victims of crime, racism, for two topics that I'm fighting for. And um, in my opinion and in my life experience, not just something I've read in Robert Greene's book, uh, a a big circle of friends is counterproductive in me achieving um, the, the ambitious heights that I aspire to in my life today, Sean. And I mean, I've got a best friend, but he's married. I'm lucky to get an email off him every couple of months. I- I've got people who I might go and watch the football and shoot the breeze with, uh, but they don't come to my house. Um, and if if unless I only want people around me who cheer me on, lift me up and inspire me. Yeah. Any of that envy, criticism, negativity, I'll just cut you off so quick. You won't know what's hit you. I, d- I just don't want it around me. It, energy vampires. They just get into your paws and, you know, they take you hostage and want to bring you down because people just don't like seeing people succeed, Sean.
0: That was Pablo Escobar's downfall, actually. So the official version of events was that Pablo was shot by the Colombian National Police. Right, right, yeah. Actually, what happened was the president, Gaviria, he brought out a row of policemen Mm. He'd invited the media and he said, these are the guys who killed Pablo Escobar, make them heroes.
1: (laughs) Oh, the picture on the roof. Is that the picture on the roof? Yeah, it's all staged. It's all staged.
0: Pablo (laughs) Escobar's faction, there was a faction of the Medellin cartel called the Castaño Brothers, who you don't hear too much about. But the Castaño Brothers were like paramilitaries. Their dad had been kidnapped by the guerrilla group and... They paid a ransom, but it wasn't enough, and they tortured and killed their dad. So they were on this mission to wipe out all these guerrillas. Now, that's a right-wing thing, and Pablo was a lefty, but they clicked, and to the point where even when Pablo was in the cathedral prison that he'd built for himself, when one of the Castania brothers was worried about his own safety, Pablo let him come and stay with him, and they shared the same bathroom and all this stuff. So when... Pablo started to cannibalize some of his friends, the the Castaños got uh, afraid. They knew the complete inner workings of the Median cartel. And when some of their friends got killed by some of Pablo's men, they formed a death squad called Los Pepes, which was financed by the Cali cartel. Yeah. Castaños said they were going to cut up Pablo's kids and send them to him in a a sack, chop them up and send them into a sack. And um, they killed the kid's nanny. They killed the kid's teacher. They knew that the family was his weakness. And in the end, you know, even his son believes that he didn't want to get, his dad didn't want to get captured by the Castaños. They said if they, the Castaños said if they were going to catch uh, Pablo Escobar alive, they're going to have a doctor surgically remove his arms and legs and keep him alive and throw the stump on the streets of Medellin, and that would guarantee their legend. So Pablo knew that was coming. So when this death squad, with the, they, they were helped by police technology, and the Cali cartel, and the CIA, and all these other agencies after Pablo, but the death squad always went in first on the raids. So when the death squad went in on the day Pablo died, Pablo knew he was going to fall into the hands of the Castaner. He'd already said he was going to put one in his ear, yeah. so it got right into his brain, and that's, that's how he died. So, again, it was through his friends. That mm. They were—they brought him down in the end. Yeah, every time. Um, I
1: remember when I was on G-Wing, on the wrapped unit in HMP Wayland. It was a small unit, 36 men, 18 on each landing, and I was selling tobacco. And I used to go in the recess where the showers were, and I'd lock the door in the toilet, and I would get my book out and do all my numbers, who owes me what. Um, work it all out, and then go out in the yard, collect the tobacco, and someone put a note in the box. Someone put a note in the box, and I I used to have like I used to have it with two people, and there was a a guy from South London and another guy from North London, and those are the two guys I used to spend all my time with. Now, when the note went in the box, I was challenged by the wing staff, and it was just the last thing I was expecting, Sean, that they've just pulled me and they're like, are you selling tobacco on the wing and are people in debt to you? I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I was like, oh, they know. And again, it's that presence of mind because it's, it's very confusing in these extreme environments when this stuff happens because you don't know who's done it to you. And it's extremely, extremely difficult to maintain that presence of mind. But long story short, uh, it was it was the guy from South London. And it was the guy that I was closest to. And I know it was him. I know for a fact it was him. Then I put a hit on him. I put a contract on him. I put 10 packs of burn. The guy, Brendan Burt, who I spoke about in the last podcast, trained to go just game as you like. Um, and I gave him five packs of tobacco. Uh, and I said, I'll give you the other five when when it's done. And he was just like, he was just, where is he? Where is he on the yard? Which one is he? Point him out and I, and and again you know I was going through therapy meditating playing football drinking green tea feeling all spiritual and um I reversed the hit I reversed the hit because I just felt I just felt like I didn't want to be responsible for what he would do to him cuz he'd have really hurt him and um it was a time when I was going through change um so yeah I reversed the hit but you know, you you feel that betrayal, don't you? The betrayal and betrayals a powerful feeling as well. Sean it's it's a very, you know, to feel betrayed by somebody close to you is, 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 it's a difficult feeling. And the default position is, is revenge. I want revenge. You know, I want to harm you. Um, and I'll fantasize about harming you and, 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 you know again I, I I keep emphasizing presence of mind to respond and not not to react you know because in an ideal situation in that situation i would you 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 play dumb to catch wise another thing the forty eight laws of power t- teaches us you play dumb to catch wise, so I would know it was him, but I would still keep him close to me keep 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 them close you know um it was it was very difficult and i remember it being a very challenging time around that time because you know the stakes are high i'm 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 getting two-year parole knockbacks with this security intelligence two-year parole knockback. i've got no right to release yeah the parole board is more powerful than a court a court can give sean atwood 30 years but the parole board in america never has to let you out they don't ever left and that's the only way you're getting out unless you get your uh, conviction overturned which is unlikely so you know, the, 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 it, it's it's difficult and it's very difficult, and you, you've you've got to be able to 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 deal with these situations. And the forty eight laws of power helps you to deal with these situations.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to add a bit to this. Then, so I've learned over time that if you treat your friends well, you can put more trust in them. So, example. Yeah. Everybody who worked for me had legal benefits. If they got arrested, get a lawyer assigned to them, get bail money. You know, we all partied together after partying together. If they had problems, you know, we would call each other and we would try and sort things out diplomatically. So we were a very tight-knit community. There was about 200 people working for me at the peak of it. Over 100 got arrested. And out of those, only four agreed to cooperate with the prosecutor. Now Sammy the the competitor in the XC market, he got arrested a year or so before me. 57 co-defendants and they all agreed to cooperate with the police. Now going back to Escobar again, Escobar's main crime partner was his cousin Gustavo Gaviria. Now they, they started doing little, small scams as kids. Like um, getting the exam results and stealing fruit and selling um, the exam results to the kids and all this kind of stuff. And um, then it escalated into like stealing cars and chop shops and bribing things. And then it escalated into murder, murder for hire, robbing banks, killing... Some of his first murders were the DAS, which was the FBI equivalent, basically held Pablo and Gustavo hostage and they were going to kill him. And Pablo talked them into... Letting Gustavo go to bring him some bribery money to let them go, Mm-mm. but then they tried. The cops tried it again on them, and Pablo grabbed the cops this time, and he, he shot them, killed them. So the difference between Pablo and Gustavo was Pablo, when he did a deal, there was always some money left over, and whoever he was doing the deal with, it'd say, "You keep that little bit." It'd be a lot. We say, "Keep that little bit," but Gustavo was so stingy. He never paid anything extra for anybody, and he counted all the pennies and made sure he had everything in his in his own pocket. So Gustavo died years before Pablo, but he he treated people differently. Pablo was extremely generous and and spread the wealth around and, and really took care of his people. Mm. That's why so many people st- you know stood with him um, until the end. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've 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 been. You made me kind of think about the i've been watching a lot of content recently mafia content sammy the bull when he he turned and he did the four or five years uh for 29 uh, 19, 19 murders. murders then he got out but then he'd done the arizona thing and then he got the long sentence he's done like two decades in prison and he was doing it with his son and um yeah i've been watching a lot of uh american content supermax content um Doing a bit of research on the Aryan Brotherhood and all that kind of stuff, and you know, in that world, and in that world you were in, you know, it, this stuff is—it's like a poker game. One wrong move, and and your lights are out. That that that, and it comes from your friend. You know, it, it, it's it's um, yeah, it's very very kind of intense stuff. Very intense stuff. Um, you know, and it, it 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 I liken it to poker because. You know, you can play a a twenty hour session down at the Vic on Edgware Road. You know, at two five cash, full ring, nine players, and you can have all the attributes of a great poker player and be practicing them: the staying power, the alertness, the ability to constantly make good decisions, and have presence of of, of mind um, when you're constantly having to 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 digest information because poker is a game of people, and they all give away information and then one wrong move, and you lose all your chips. Yeah. One wrong move. One, one wrong move, so,
0: yeah. And do you have any examples from your life of learning how to use your enemies? Because that's the other part of that law, isn't it, as well as putting too much trust in your friends. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't say that I've ever kind of
1: risen in any kind of power structure enough to where that I've had the lived experience to be able to answer that, Sean. But what I would say is 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 I I would definitely agree that you know a former enemy will, will just do anything they can to, to 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 try and please you. You know if you if you save someone or give them a on some, give them a pass on something. When there could have been bad consequences, because I used to give drugs to people and people would let me down and stuff like that. And you know those situations used to escalate. And if you give someone a pass when when you've pursued them and you know been a perpetrator of violence towards them or sent people to be violent towards them, and then you give them a pass because you've been friends for years since you were kids, they're very keen to to prove prove to you their worth and prove you know, that they can make it up to you. Um, got, so it is, is true what Robert Green says, yeah.
0: I've got another Escobar story that goes against this. Um, probably, probably an extrapolation. <clears throat> so Pablo had a friend that was sentenced to life on some prison island, and Pablo did the necessary bribery to get him out and gave him a job within his organization, had him living with him in uh, Hacienda, Naples, this sprawling estate. So, somebody noticed that a couple of grand had gone missing, and someone tipped Pablo off that the guy he rescued from the prison island had took it. Mm. And Pablo said, "Look, this guy was going to spend the rest of his life on this prison island. He's my friend. I've given him a job. There's no way this guy's going to have the money." Yeah. So they went to his room and found the money. So Pablo, I think they tied him to a crane or something. And then they... He he called everybody to the swimming pool and they just dunked this guy in until he was nearly dead and brought him up again and dunked him until he was nearly dead and brought him up again and just did this over and over again until he died. And then Pablo said to everybody, you know, this is what happens if you steal from me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care if you're my friend or not, don't steal from me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Does it say if I'm if my memory's correct, does it say
0: about uh, becoming tyrannical? No, I think. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, here we go. Yeah. With the envy, they also become spoiled and tyrannical. Yeah. So spoiled and tyrannical. So I remember
1: again, it was with uh, scousers. I was working with scousers and there was a, a group of them. People from Liverpool. Very, very, very violent very violent young men, Um, great personalities, fantastic charisma, um, just they love the cocaine, love the Chirac, love bringing girls back, extremely loyal but extremely violent if you cross them. And uh, there was like a power struggle because he was paying me wages, the boss, the boss was paying me wages and we were all working. And he, he, on a couple of occasions, he gave me more than one of the other fellas, one of the scousers. And this guy was just seething with with envy towards me. He was, and he, he, it was just oozing out of him sideways, Sean, you know, the comments, um, slagging me off in the kitchen and all this kind of stuff. And it just, that again, it escalated quite quick. And then he just kicked off one night, saying, how oh, can you give him this? And, you know, and you only give me that. And he became very spoiled and tyrannical because the boss was looking after him very well. But it's, you know, like Robert Greene says, they just want more and more and nothing's enough. And um, th- this situation escalated really quickly and the- they nearly killed him. I mean, they, they, he went out, he kind of went AWOL, he went MIA, and then he smashed... car up we had a tdi new white golf outside the property and he smashed it up and then they they were looking for him and i was with them and then we found him and we found him in uh like a crack house where drug addicts were were using drugs and what they did to him was i mean it was just horrific i mean they beat him with a house brick and a brandy cavossier bottle and um you know, and they were friends. They 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 were friends. Like they'd known each other for years. And um, the boss was—he was always respectful to me. I mean, always had a great rapport with him. Um, I quite liked him. He, you know, I quite liked him. But um, yeah, that that that's what happened with him. And he he—that is a great example of of what I can recall of somebody becoming—you know—within the ranks becoming tyrannical. Um, because uh, him him feeling that he deserved more and that he in the boss wasn't giving it to him, you know, and they they really hurt him, Sean really hurt him bad.
0: So wrapping up law number two here, then things that you can use out there in the world when we get good news, some brilliant happens in our lives. There is this natural tendency to just start gushing at the mouth and wanting to tell everybody about it, and it can create envy which then brings on these problems. Like Pepsi said, if you're telling a friend this brilliant thing that's happened to you, and the friend says something that you're not expecting back, something critical back, or asks a weird question that's not really a positive, that then takes you out of your mind, puts you in their mind, and gives you a read on what they're really thinking about what you're saying. So if you go to prison, for example, and you start bragging about being the biggest gangster in the world you're pulling heists in Las Vegas and having sex with showgirls and you got $100 C-notes stapled to your head if you go boasting about all this stuff you're going to get reduced rapidly in prison because there's a whole legion of people who've got absolutely nothing and they think you're just you know, you're in there thinking you're some big shot and it's all ego it may make you feel good saying these things in the beginning, this bragging, but they will go in on you like a pack of wolves at the end of the day because you're going to create that envy. So if you are unfortunate enough to end up in prison, then stay humble. It was a very humbling experience for me. My my, uh, ego was as big as the Grand Canyon. I was running around thinking I was a kingpin and stuff. I thought I was a wild and crazy party person in prison they were 10 times wilder and crazier than me, so it was a very humbling experience. So if you do end up in prison, lay low, keep your mouth shut, find out who's who, and then make alliances with the right people and only confide <clears throat> with them over time. That's, that's survival advice right there. All right, so we're going to move on to number three. Mm-hmm. 48 laws of power in prison. Law number three, conceal your intentions. Keep people off balance and in the dark by never revealing the purpose behind your actions. If they have no clue what you are up to, they cannot prepare a defense. Guide them far enough down the wrong path, <clears throat> envelop them in enough smoke, and by the time they realize your intentions, it will be too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff, isn't it, Sean? The, the first
1: couple of notes I wrote when I revised this law was, without this knowledge, life can get and will get very, very tricky for you. You know, why are you going to, like in the free world, why are you going to tell people, your colleagues, that you're going for a promotion? In it, Why are you going to tell them it's counterproductive? There's no benefit in it. In prison, In prison, long-term imprisonment, there's very few... Prestigious, trusted jobs within that prison. If you've got two thousand people in the prison, there might only be a handful of super, super cushy, really well trusted jobs. Yeah, they're going to be very small numbers of these jobs. So why am I going to tell you that, or tell everyone on the landing that I'm going for for that job? Yeah. Um. And again, you know, like 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 I said earlier, I I learned the hard way with these with a lot of these laws and uh, what this law made me remember was a story when i was on in on the enhanced unit in hmp winchester now hmp winchester is a victorian prison in winchester in england and it is a cesspit of humanity and the, when i was there i saw multiple suicides i saw 18 year olds killing themselves I saw a self-harm epidemic and a mental health epidemic of proportions that I've never, ever seen before. It was like something out of Zombie Nation. There's a spice epidemic and a drug epidemic of proportions, again, never, ever seen before. And uh, everyone was skinny, grey, gaunt. Um, People were suffering catastrophic delirium in their mental functioning as they went crazy and lost their minds with the long bang-up dog food and, uh, you know, it's every time these kind of establishments get condemned as cesspits of humanity by monitoring boards and the Chief Inspector of Prisons, Peter Clark, then the narrative from any kind of media or the narrative from the local community is, so what? Prison's not supposed to be easy. So what? It's full of rapists and paedophiles anyway. And one of my missions, Sean, with my activism is to teach and educate society, specifically young society, up-and-coming aspiring grassroots politicians who might only be in school at the moment, the wide range of um, very young next-generation academics that I've got in my network now as a result of the first podcast, um, prison officers that I talk to, new prison officers that I talk to, police officers that I talk to, mental health practitioners that I talk to, social workers. My mission, one of them, is to teach and educate these very good people that when the state harms prisoners and children in custody, then the state harms society. And when the state harms those said people, proportionate justice for victims is not delivered. Um, So this story... When I was in Winchester, it took me, I was there two years on recall with the IPP and I managed to progress onto the enhanced unit, which wasn't a cesspit of humanity. It was a very small unit. It used to be for female prisoners, uh, mother and baby unit, and they'd kept it open. Now, out of 700 people in the prison, on this unit, there was 40 men. And these were the top manipulators in the entire prison There was no violence on this unit. These were the top, 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 best, most sophisticated thinking manipulators. And the majority of them, Sean, were in for bad offenses, bad crimes. Now, it's not my game to jump on my high horse and start saying, you know, um, you know, demonizing people for what crimes they're in. Because that's something I feel very strongly about in the sense that for as long as we continue to demonize people, the opportunity to understand, learn and prevent things like that happening again is missed. And that's something I feel very strongly about. So I'm not getting on my high horse, but I'm just telling you that the men on that wing, a lot of them, they are in for murders with hammers, attacking women, stabbing women, torturing women, um, emptying bank accounts of elderly ladies like fraudsters and vulnerable women there was a guy who ran over a child and drove off and i hated every minute of being on this unit i just despised it i hated living on there and they the first time i was on there the first time i was on there I, i i i was just i wasn't psychologically strong enough to deal with these kind of characters sean um and they got the better of me and they ended up getting me kicked off and then i went back on there but the first this is a story the first time i went on there i applied to be a samaritans listener which is an extremely prestigious trusted position in the prison out of 700 prisoners there might be 12 13 listeners and the listeners are a very tight group most of them are snitches most of them are grasses there was a few, a handful of good lads on there. junior he was doing a 17 dan patterson was doing a 10 um, big Raf from Bournemouth He was doing a 10 Those guys were staunch uh, There was another guy doing a 7 from Southampton or Portsmouth He was fine But the rest of them, all snitches They'll all take you out the game They'll get you parole knockbacks And I kind of learned learnt It took me 9 months to get back onto this enhanced unit Now when I went on the, there this time I was on my game I was in the gym, I was training I was meditating, I was generating And sowing good karma around the prison By helping others um, raised some money for Stephen Lawrence and I was in a good place. And I was, I was, uh, I was game to deal with these characters. So the next time when I applied for the Samaritans listeners, because they're always fishing, they're always asking. Um, So conceal, conceal your intentions. Yeah. So I just started to, you, you take people down the wrong road and they'll fish. You're going for the listeners job. No, I'm focused on education, mate. Yeah. I'm focusing on my open university. All oh, right. Like, when I'm fighting the urge, you know, to say, what, are you a policeman? You know, you, you don't talk to me, but when you talk to me, you just want information, yeah? Um, it's like very, very, very um, intense unit. That was a very intense unit. And um, they, they did get the better of me. The first time when I was on there, you know, I, I, it, was, it was really tough. So when I went back, I was on my game. So I applied for the listener's job. And I infiltrated them. I got in there. I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. And I just started to constantly throw people off. And there's a Machiavelli quote, and I love it. Yeah. So he says, Machiavelli says, I lie so much that even I don't even know when I'm telling the truth. And that was <laughs> me. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's, it's just a great quote because that was me by the time I left Winchester. Are you going to the gym tonight? No. And then you'll see me at the gym. I just lie about everything. Um, Are are, are you you playing pool later? Yes. Then I'm just making legal calls all night. And like, I just lie about everything because, you know, tech is so critically important to conceal your intentions in, in, in these environments, Sean, because you're just, it's very powerful to be a man, of few words, but a clever man, a wise man, it's very powerful, you know. Most people don't have the awareness of this, like I said earlier. That awareness of how you come across to others. Most people ramble. Um, most people are constantly ramming their opinions down people's throats. Um, you know, go around chatting, and this this stuff is really difficult because you know I'm a chatterbox. I like to talk. So in these environments, you know, I you know I've learned over the years, you know, the 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 problem. And the difficulties that it causes me um, by revealing too much about my plans. Because in prison, people will just, um, just try and use it against you.
0: So it's very important to conceal your intentions. You've homed in on a classic example there because those few jobs that are coveted, there are some dirty tricks around them. The politics is insane. It's off the charts. So like, a position comes free, like, I don't know, like education (laughs) aid or something that's going to get... We've got 10 to 50 cents an hour, so 50 cents an hour job, education aid. uh, Instead of like scrubbing the trays in the kitchen, become an education aid. So the other people who know that you're applying for that job and they're applying for that job, they will sabotage you. Yeah. They will put drugs in your cell. They will yeah. drop a kite and tell the guards, to go and shake that guy's cell down. They'll find those drugs. Yeah, Or they'll say, this guy's dirty. Test his piss. Next thing, you'll be on lockdown. They'll get you out of the way. Yeah. So if you are going for a good job, don't tell anybody about it in prison because that stuff's like gold dust. People want to get that little bit of money from the job so they can buy the things from the store. You're getting in the way of that collateral damage yeah you've got you've got to learn
1: to control your tongue you've really got to learn um you know this discipline and it's tricky you know it's tough but you know if if you can if you can master this then um you'll be successful um in 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 potentially achieving the 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 realms of power and surviving in these kind
0: of environments yeah so Do you have a contradiction to that one, then? Um,
1: To be honest, I'm not too hot on the contradictions, Sean. It's never, they they never, whilst the couple of times I've read the book, I've never really got into the contradictions.
0: There was never a time you made your intentions clear and it worked out for you in prison. I mean, like, you know, like I said earlier, there's always the exception to the rule.
1: You know, and, and we spoke about or you spoke about the story of that, uh, of a great example of kind of the natural evolution of the unit, the yard, you know, people come, people go. So um, there's there, there's always going to be a, a, an exception, um, I, I, you know, I can't really think of the top of my head, but there were, I mean, like everyone knows I'm going for parole so that, you know, my intentions are clear there. But I'm even with that, Sean. They trip you up. Even with that, I mean, like you get the date. I mean, you're just buzzing. I mean, it's as as an indeterminate sentence prisoner. I mean that date, and it's not even a release date. But that's the only time you ever get a date, yeah. So you might have waited twenty years for that date, fifteen years, ten years, five years for that date. And if you don't get that parole, it's it's, it's two years until you get another date. And you're always waiting for that date. You get that date. And I remember getting it and just keeping it to myself. I, I kept it to myself for about five or six days, and then I told, I told my friend Sammy Snake Eyes. Uh, shout out to Sammy Snake Eyes down in Basingstoke. Yeah, I told my friend. He he, he was happy for me. He was like, "Yeah, nice one." And then, um, but yeah, even with parole, you know, you know, right to the last minute, you know, people will sabotage you the day before you get out. You know, people, people. Like the law in this country, as a life sentence prisoner or, or an IPP or an indeterminate sentence prisoner, old two-strike lifer, automatic life sentence, whatever it is, um, after you have the parole hearing, the, 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 the Ministry of Justice have to tell you the answer within 14 days, yeah? So that 14 days will come and go and the officers don't tell you anything and you've heard nothing from the parole board. And even 30-year prison officer veterans have told me when I was in that situation, like, this is like torture. It's really cruel. Like They should at least tell you. And, um, you know, right to the last minute, you're just being tested by the prison, you know, other prisoners. But my point is, in that situation, you're in a lot of pain. You're in a lot of pain, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, helplessness. Hopelessness, it's a wide range of intense emotions, Sean. But people on the unit are like enjoying it. Like they enjoy it, like they buzz off it, feed off it, you know. And when you get the answer, you're being released on Monday. The other 39 people on the unit aren't all coming up to you going, Oh, well done, congratulations. But if you got the two year knockback, everybody. They're all gossiping. Oh, did you hear about all looking in your cell when they go for dinner? And that's prison. If you, you know, break the law and commit crimes and go to prison, this is what you're going into. You're going into a negative, extremely negative environment where every day people are trying to pull you towards um, negativity and pull you down. And this, Sean, is why rehabilitation in England and Wales is, is virtually non-existent. Because anytime you try and display and show change, the tide of negativity towards you is so intense. Um, it, it 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 makes it virtually impossible.
0: You're considered lame then if you're doing something yeah, positive. Yeah. So I've got a few little stories on intentions then. So in terms of release, I was about to get released. I'm in minimum security. You know, got the most privileges and thinking it's going to be an easy ride now to the gate. I get assigned to the kitchen, yeah. clip a room, scrubbing the trays, blah, blah, blah. Take a break, sit on a crate. And a guy who's murdered two people in prison says, that's my seat. Get off it. So if I get off it and I'm a punk, everyone's going to punk me out. I'm not a problem with everyone. If I stay on it, I'm not a problem with just one person. Yeah. He's killed two people in prison, but I'd rather have a problem with just one person. So he's running his mouth because I stayed on the seat saying he's going to come to my cell and shank me. I've got a workout partner, this guy called Iron Man, and he's telling me, he's like teaching me martial arts in this little rec room. He's like, yeah, you know, when he, when he um comes into your cell, just do a snap kick. He's got an iron rod in his leg where he's been shot by the guards <laughs> and all this stuff and then go through his eyeballs when he leans forward. Well, I'm not a fighter, you know. So I'm thinking, like, oh, what am I getting into here? Nightmare. Yeah, so... Absolute nightmare. So he's running his mouth. Night after night, I'm thinking he's going to come in. He eventually does come in, but he had completely concealed his intentions. I didn't know that he was about to get released as well. So he comes in, I jump up, with the position ready to fight. And then he's got this look on his face. And I'm thinking, maybe he's pretending like he's not going to fight me just to get me close to sucker punch me. Yeah, you never know. So I'm keeping him at a distance. But then he says, look, I'm about to get released. I've done like 30 years. You know, when I kill those guys, it was, it was when I first came in, it, it was either me or them. If I kill you, I'm getting released. I'll never get out. Or I'll get the death penalty. And... Then he said, all I know is heroin. Every day of my life, all I've done is heroin in here. How am I going to survive when I get out? And he got a really sad look on his face. Yeah. And I ended up giving him a hug. Like 10 minutes ago, I thought we, we were going to duke it out. Yeah. Or I was going to come in with a knife. And now here I am giving him, him a hug. Because he concealed his intentions till the very last minute. Yeah. And he actually wanted me to help him. <clears throat> And I did have arranged for a female outside of prison to help him, but he never followed through. Mm. And I'm not sure what's happened to him. Now another situation where intentions weren't concealed, but they—this is a violation of the of the law again. Now, uh, because they knew they could get away with it, so my parents fly 5,000 miles to Arizona. I've got a clemency hearing. Wow! I've only got a couple of years left to serve. If I get my clemency, I could get out. Wow. Yeah. So they come and visit me in the prison in in uh, Tucson, and the next day, and after the visit, they're traveling down to Phoenix, Arizona, to do, to go to the clemency hearing and 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 plead for plead for me to be released. So the day of the visit, the day before the clemency hearing, yeah, I leave the visit, and my counselor comes He's walking across the yard. and He goes, Atwood, I've got something for you here. Yeah? Like what? it's your clemency result. And he opens it and he goes, we've decided after the hearing that you're not going to be granted clemency. And this is the day before the hearing. Wow. So my parents had flown 5,000 miles to come to a hearing that had already been decided. Yeah. And they even rubbed it in my face by telling me that you weren't going to get it the day before because they knew there was jack shit I could do about it. Yeah. Now I've got a more positive one here where Two people concealed their intentions from me, but they were actually looking out for me. Yeah. So when I got to one prison in Arizona, I was moved in with a serial home, invader torture. I'd been breaking into mostly drug dealers' houses, tying them up with duct tape, taking ball-peen hammers to the kneecaps and stabbing them. And um, he didn't like me from the get-go because I was a fresh fish to him, and he was an old con. (laughs) So... He got his mate, this huge guy, to prison is like high school mentality with deadly consequences. Yeah. <clears throat> and he knew my family was flying 5,000 miles to visit me for Christmas. So he got his mate to attack me just when I'm going to see my mom and dad. And this guy was big. I, I, I'm trying to hit back, but it's like hitting a big bag of cement. Yeah. You've got to hit back, otherwise, you're going to end up just performing oral sex on people and getting rated out as a prostitute. <laughs> so I hit back. Mom's asked me what's wrong at the visit. I can't say. She's had a nervous breakdown. So I didn't manage to play the system and get moved out of that cell. Mm. The serial <clears> <throat> torch, torches throwing batteries at me for a couple of weeks afterwards. But then I got a new cellmate, and this is the guy now concealed his intentions and looked out for me, and introduced me to a guy who actually ended up saving my life later on, called Two Tonys. who have written a book about. Yeah, yeah. So my new cellmate, Long Island, has come from this other prison. There's sixty thousand people in this prison system, and his neighbour gangster dan said to him if you meet an english dude english sean i did business with him on the streets take care of him so long island comes to my cell he learns about the beef i've had with the serial home invader torturer, and he knows there's a guy who can protect me two tonys but he doesn't say any of this he just says will you play a game of chess against my friend two tonys so i say cool what's he in for because he's a multiple homicide, mafia murderer doing 141 years. <laughs> <laughs> Left the dead bodies of rival gangsters from Arizona to Alaska. Yeah. So I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. Do I want to play chess with this guy? If I, I might be next on his list if I beat him. Yeah, it's deep. Yeah. So I'm kind of reluctant. But before I can say anything else, he goes off and gets two Tonys. And two Tonys comes down the stairs like Uncle Junior. He's already done almost like 30 years or whatever. And he sees how nervous I am. And in a fake British accent, he says, have you ever had bloody tea and crumpets with the Beatles? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I beat him at chess. And at the end, he says, Sean, how come you beat me so fast? And I said, because all the way through the game, you were speaking your mind. You wouldn't show someone your hand in a game of cards, would you? And he slaps his head and goes, oh, me and my big mouth. But I don't know, he, he was testing me because my cellmate, Long Island, had told him I was a writer. And he was looking for someone to write his life story. And he then says, Sean, to stay alive on the road of life, I've had to become a quick judge of character. Yeah, I like you. I think you're on honest person. Would you be willing to write my life story? So when people started to come to To Tony's cell, I'm sneaking in there every day, writing his life story for months on end. He's introducing me to his, these people paying respect to him as his official biographer. And I never got attacked again after that. And there was a life-threatening situation that he called in a favor and got me out of. So both Long Island and Tutonis conceal their intentions. And I played right into it because they were way street smarter than me. Mm. But at the end of the day, they had my best interest at heart. Yeah.
1: It's it's interesting listening to you talk about those stories when you, because in, in all those stories with this law, conceal your intentions, it kind of comes to a head at some point. And it kind of made me think about how, how you kind of deal with that when you're the one concealing your intentions. So when you get the trusted job and you infiltrate those tight, tight, rock-solid networks with these complex layers and layers and layers of complexity, um, people, even though you were actively pursuing that job, you play it down, and I was a last-minute decision, mate. I just got lucky. The, the unit manager asked me if I wanted it. I wasn't even going to do it, but I just thought, yeah, I'll
0: have a change of scenery. And that's so applicable to the real world. Yeah. If you're jostling for a promotion and you're bragging about it, you're going to get sabotaged. Yeah. Keep it low-key and get in there and rise up. Mm-hmm. right, then. Let us go over to... Law number four. Yes. So this is 48 Laws of Power in Prison. Number four, always say less than necessary. When you are trying to impress people with words, the more you say, the more common you appear, and the less in control. Even if you are saying something banal, it will seem original. If you make it vague, open-ended, and Sphinx-like. Powerful people impress and intimidate by saying less. The more you say, the more likely you are to say something foolish.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great law. And uh just going over my notes here. The first thing that I wrote down when I revised the law was, if you want to learn about somebody and you want to learn a lot about somebody, just listen to them. And they'll chat away and chat away and chat away. And and they will just reveal so much because most people are open books. And I said it on the first podcast um, when you asked me what advice I would give to somebody if they went into prison for the first time. And I said, don't talk to anybody. If somebody engages you and talks to you, then be polite and civil, but don't talk to anybody Um if 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 you know, eye contact. Eye contact in prison is very is a it's a thing, you know. Um if someone engages you in eye contact, um, you know, hold their gaze, don't show weakness. Because you show that tiny bit of weakness, they're gonna prey on you. Um so yeah, just listen to people and you will learn so much about them. And then on the reverse side of it, don't um you know, if you're in these environments for the first time, just don't don't be a chatterbox because you're gonna you're gonna bury yourself, Sean. And there's a there's a quote I wrote down from this law, and I think it's fantastic. So it says, oysters open completely when the moon is full, and when the crab sees one, it throws a piece of stone or seaweed into it. And the oyster cannot close again so that it serves the crab for meat. Such is the fate of him who opens his mouth too much and thereby puts himself at the mercy of the listener. And what came to my mind straight away when I read that was parole board hearings and talking to probation officers as a long term prisoner. Now there's thousands and thousands and thousands of parole board hearings in England and Wales every year. And in America who lock up more people per 100,000 people than anywhere on earth, I can't imagine the numbers of parole hearings they deal with over there, but men, men um, who go on these parole hearings, bury themselves all the time by talking too much. And you will not know that you're talking too much and burying yourself because the three member Risk averse parole board panel, who you have to, um, you know, bypass to get out. Um, they've got your life in the palm of your hands. They would just be nodding and smiling sweetly at you, and you won't. You just won't know, Sean, that you're that you're that you're burying yourself. So, I mean, a parole board hearing is not a situation where I would promote being open ended, or Sphinx like, or vague. You know, but you would talk about in a parole hearing your hopes, your dreams and your future. Um, But with what you have to do, you have to say less than necessary. So people, when the parole board asks them a question, they ramble and they go on and on. And because no panel reads a 2,000-page dossier, they go by instinct. They will read a few key reports and they'll go by instinct. But people bury themselves. Because they go on and on and on. So what you have to do, you have to do what the law says. And you have to give short, specific answers that answer the question and have an impact. So you would say to me, why do you want to go to a rehab, which I'm looking at as straight release, rather than two years in a semi-open prison? Um, And I would say, because all of my crimes are drug-related, and I'm a drug addict and the residential rehab mom has the expertise and the professional staff to help me with my addiction, and the DCAT establishment doesn't. Short, specific, has it impact, answers the question. And that is not to say that there is not a time and a place, Sean, for a two or three-minute speech. But if, 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 if I was doing that, I'd be talking about hope and dreams and my future, do you know what I mean? And then like on the landing with probation officers now currently in modern 21st century Britain in the criminal justice system, I don't know how it happened. Chris Grayling, in the cuts, austerity, the, the continuing screw ups of successive failing justice secretaries. Who are absolutely clueless about the criminal justice system and don't have a law degree between them, and who have educational backgrounds in Edwardian Elizabethan history and agriculture and fiddling expenses, (laughs) but like these people, it's just so bad the probation service that it's we've got ourselves into a position where they are running the show. They they have all the power. You have two key reports. You have inside probation and outside probation. It don't matter how much of a model prisoner you are, how long you've gone without ever having the luxury of having a a bad day, you know how exceptional your prison disciplinary record is. If they don't recommend release, there's not many parole boards in the land that are going to release the person. Probably none. You know it's so difficult. So when you see these people, and you don't see them all the time, it's hard to get to see them. You will have a thirty-minute window, a forty-minute window. To, to, to impress them, to win them over. And it's very difficult. And it's took years and years and years for me to learn um, how important this is. And it's helped me with negotiation skills and stuff like that, tapping into people's vanity, you know, the master and the art of indirectness. For me to ask for something off you, Sean, then I have to preferably indirectly point out to you how what I'm asking off you benefits you. Yeah. So when I go in with these probation officers, when other people, when people go in there, they bury themselves because they say too much and they're rambling and going on and on and on. Now, within your dialogue, when you're rambling, when you start showing denial, minimizing your index offense that you went to prison for, not taking responsibility, blaming others, do that in a parole here and it's game over, you're not going home. There's no way you're not going home. You know what I mean? So, the fundamental rule that I kind of uh, go by now in those situations is to not, with a, with a probation officer I'm talking about, on the landing, on, on, on the yard, um, is, is, is to never volunteer anything negative. Uh, what you've been up to, I'm going to the gym, I'm meditating, I'm building a relationship with my family, I'm doing my Open University, I've done, entered two writing competitions, um, things are going really well for me. Why am I gonna offer negative? Now, the other thing that is very important is we, relevant to this law with regards to people burying themselves without the self-awareness of saying too much, saying you know more than necessary, is re- with regards to security intelligence. So if you've been away 20 years, I mean, you can have 100 security entries, yeah? If you've been away five years, you could have 20, 10, you know. Now, a parole board, if you've got a lot of these security entries, now, security entries, it's intelligence. So you haven't got an adjudication or a governor's report or any um, documented disciplinary procedures against you. But it, And it's not even a write up, it's security intel. And then it'll be graded A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four. As to how, you know, if a if a CO saw you walking down the landing with with a joint, you know, that's pretty. That's going to be an A, a one, because he saw you, yeah. So it's like you got this security intel. Now people read it; they go on the parole hearing or they talk to their probation officer, and they say they minimize it and they deny it, and they go, "Oh, that's not true." People are stitching me up, snitches and all that. And again, I reiterate: you go on a parole hearing and do that, you'll bury yourself. So the correct answer to when the parole board says to me without rambling and saying too much, the correct answer when the parole board challenged me, because they will challenge you on it, about selling tobacco on the wrapped wing, the correct answer is, that's true, ma'am. And I'm not advocating admitting things you haven't done, but I'm saying like if you have done it, um, you know, the correct answer is, that's correct, ma'am. And you spin it into a positive so that's correct that did happen but i'm really grateful for this experience mom because it this experience taught me that running around the prison being dishonest and breaking prison rules and um you know deceiving people and getting people into debt and the power and control that gives me that is very similar to the behavior that led to me coming to prison in the first place it's the same power and control that I get from drug dealing. And it's still the same as breaking the law outside. And without um, this experience of getting caught for this, then I would have never learned um, this wisdom. So I'm really grateful uh, for learning this and moving forward. That is how you answer a challenge on selling tobacco to a three-member risk-averse parole board panel, to the point specific that has an impact, no rambling, Yeah. And you blow them away with an answer like that, Sean. Blow them away.
0: The more you talk, the more your words can be used against you. Why arm people so that they can take you down with your own words? Classic, extreme Mm. example of this is Brendan Dassey. If anyone has watched Making a Murderer... So, the state of Wisconsin has put a guy in prison for 18 years, Stephen Avery, for an attempted murder-rape that he didn't do. He's got exonerated after this long struggle, and he's about to get 30-plus million in compensation when a woman, a local woman, goes missing, trees a hauled back. So, rather than pay him 30-plus million, they put the murder on him. The first check was on the governor's desk. Now, they've got no proper evidence against this, and they've got nobody that they're interrogating who can corroborate it. So they got Brendan Dassey, a teenager with a limited IQ, snatched him from his school, told him, we'll let you go home and watch WrestleMania if you just confess to killing trees a whole back. And that's what he did. They just coerced him into doing it, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Mm. When I started getting protected by the New Mexican Mafia, they said, look, if you get pulled over by the police, leaving our house, you can tell them you're in a hurry. I don't want you to search my car. If, if you're going to charge me with something, I'm exercising my right to remain silent. My lawyer's Alan Simpson. That's the lawyer I later got for my case, who did wonders for us. So, someone did get pulled over leaving the New Mexican Mafia's uh, place. And um, she just couldn't keep her mouth shut. And I never saw her again. So, when you are in a situation like Brendan Dassey, I mean, they said, because they knew that the police knew she'd been shot in the head. Mm -hmm. So, they said to Brendan, What did you do to her head? What did Stephen do to her head? Stephen Avery, the, the co-defendant. And he, Brendan just says, have we cut her, huh? Because that's how innocent he is. Yeah. like, no, Brendan. What did you do to her head? We uh, punched her in the head. And then they're like, no, Brendan. Just tell us who shot her in the head. Was it Stephen? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, yes, Stephen shot her in the head. Now, everything that came before that was left out. Yeah. So in court, they said, "Quote, quote, Brendan Dassey, Stephen shot her in the head." Got ya. His own words used against him, framed by the police. So you can put all this, you can say all this stuff before you say the one thing that sinks you, and all that stuff that you say will not even be counted. Yeah. They'll just take the one tiny little thing you say and sink you with that. Yeah. And that's what they did to that poor kid, and he's still serving. A life sentence to this day, and I've rather written a book called *Unmaking the Murder* about this. Mm-hmm. Each chapter is one of the methods that the police and the prosecutors and the authorities use to frame <clears> these, <throat> these two innocent people.
1: Yeah, I've got, I've got it on my Kindle. Um, when you done the, when you did the giveaway at Christ, Christmas time, yeah, and I downloaded them all uh, then, and I put a few, put a few onto uh, my mum's tablet as well. But yeah, it's another. Just listening to you there, you know, it just reinforces the critical need to have presence of mind, mastering emotional control, mastering self discipline, and controlling your tongue. You know, very, very, a lot easier said than done, Sean, you know, easier said than done. But, um, you know, genius is perseverance, you know, practice, repetition, you know. Just you, you know, you you work work on these things, and you you make a, a, a you know an effort. You make a, a you know a daily effort. Set yourself little goals and targets. You know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut today. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just, just keep your mouth shut. Um, and at, at the end of this law, wrapping it up, uh, Robert Greene's wrote "Keys to Power," like he does at the end of every law. Power is in many ways a game of appearances. And when you say less than necessary, you inevitably appear greater and more powerful than you are. Your silence will make other people uncomfortable. Humans are machines of interpretation and explanation. They have to know what you are thinking. So be very careful and disciplined in what you say and carefully control what you
0: reveal so they cannot pierce your intentions or your meaning. And there's a quote from Shakespeare that ties into this. Thou doth protesteth too much. You get people who are guilty of a certain thing. Yeah. And they start putting all this info 100%. out there that, that it's, that's the opposite. So that's true. Yeah. in prison, quite often, you'll see someone okay. running his mouth saying, that guy's a snitch, trying to get everybody to go and beat that guy up. Yeah. Starting rumours about people. But at the end of the day, the guy calling him the snitch is the snitch. He's trying to hide that he's a snitch. I've seen that all the time. Oh, that that guy's a a sex offender. Yeah. So that's why in prison, there's a saying, show us the paperwork. Yeah. So if you're going to accuse someone of something, you better have the paperwork on that guy's case to back your claim up. Otherwise, you're the one that's going to get attacked. Yeah. That was the rule. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that highlights the, I mean, it's not like that here
1: in England in the sense that, In prisons in England and Wales, I mean, just do not underestimate the potential, um, you know, damage and conflict that can be caused from a rumour. And this is something I noticed during and observed during a long-term imprisonment was I met a couple of people and they were experts at doing this kind of stuff of just starting little rumours about people, spreads like wildfire. And this is one of the techniques that they use to isolate a man and turn the people close to him against him and with the aim and the objective of making that person self-destruct without ever laying a finger on them. The velvet glove, you know, it's, uh, yeah, so rumours, starting rumours. And, uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I suppose uh, we don't have the those kind of politics in these these prisons in England and Wales, where th- there's consequences for doing that, because it is wrong, isn't it? It's wrong to to, to start rumours uh,
0: about people. I've seen you know. it use a deadly effect. <laughs> so, if you're watching this, you're out in the world. How's this going to apply to your life? Whatever kind of a situation you're in, um, you know, job interview, um, talking to somebody about you know whatever you're trying to achieve. Don't give them more than is necessary because it it will just be used against you. Yeah, just quickly on that
1: point Sean. Uh, what you said there is it it it's spot on because what i said about the parole here and exactly the same in a job interview. Job you know you you, you what are you what what are you going to bring to my company? I'm going to add value to your company sir with my experience in the retail sector. Very simple. Do you know what I mean? That is more powerful than me rambling for five minutes, you know, with the multiple opportunities within that five minute ramble of dialogue to bury myself because I need to say one thing where that person can just be like, no, this is not the guy. You know, I'm going to add value to your business. I'm going to boost revenue, and I'm confident I can do that. Check my TripAdvisor reviews.
0: If you were applying for a job with Escobar and you rambled, he would just straight whack you. he says, say, this guy's hiding something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely
1: probably whack me because I'm a chatterbox. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. 48 Laws of Power in Prison, Law 5. So much depends on reputation. Guard it with your life. Reputation is the cornerstone of power. Through reputation alone, you can intimidate and win. Once it slips away, however, you are vulnerable and will be attacked on all sides. Make your reputation unassailable. Always be alert to potential attacks and thwart them before they happen. Meanwhile, learn to destroy your enemies by opening holes in their own reputations, (laughs) then stand aside and let public opinion hang them. Yeah, so
1: it just kind of flows to what we were just talking about because I've written some notes here uh, talking about people who would start rumors about people um, saying that they're a snitch or a grass to deflect from the fact that they were doing it. Um, in Winchester prison there was a guy called peanut his name came in the newspaper for being involved in a local paedophile ring in, in, in a town near to the prison so they went in on him three people and they attacked him and they were his own people from the same area so they booked him got him off the wing and uh I remember seeing him because he was in the CM's office first and he was all bruised. And um, it it was someone else with the same name. So it, so it wasn't even him. But he didn't stay and fight for his reputation, Sean, and his honour. He went into protection onto the numbers wing, D-wing, um, with all the chomos, sex offenders, rapists, um, debtors people in debt who'd, who'd gone off the wing and I mean he wasn't you know I'm not I'm not saying that he wasn't doing bad stuff I mean he's actually back in now again for quite a bad crime some kind of robbery on an elderly person but he wasn't a paedophile and um, but he didn't he didn't save his reputation and try and stay on the wing and the point is is that once that reputation's gone, it's more often than not impossible to get it back. That's why the book is training you to understand that you have to guard your reputation with your life. We've seen it recently in the free world with the companies that have killed these people in the hospitals with the um, the stuff in the sandwiches. And they're shut down. They've shut down. They're not giving out any more food. Um, and if you kill guests in a restaurant, you're finished. Once you lose that reputation, you can't come back from that, Sean. Um, so it's an example in the free world. So you have to guard. You have to guard your. Um, you have to guard your reputation. It's very important. Um I've been watching a lot of big Herc videos. He's had a guy in there called Wes Watson shout recently. Out to big
0: Herc and I really have been I was watching the Wes when I went to Wildman's house. Um Wildman was watching the Wes stuff. Yeah. Man, we were glued to that powerful. stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Very powerful yeah. stuff. Um, yeah.
1: you know, I, I i messaged them both. I, I just gave them a big shout out across the pond here here from, you know, England. Just mad, crazy respect and admiration for what they're doing. They're doing great things, and uh, the the video of Wes Watson and Big Herc, in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful interactions between two men of our backgrounds, similar backgrounds that, that I've seen on the internet. It's such a powerful message, uh, you know. And just slightly going back to. The start of this podcast, when I said that first po- podcast for me was life changing, I would even go as far to say, Sean, more life changing than any accredited offend behavior program, deficits in cognitive thinking, ETS six week course, you know, because it's given me a new lease of life and purpose. And Wes Watson talks about that the rigorous pursuit of purpose over pleasure. And that's what he does. And it's very easy to misinterpret someone like Wes because of his size. But if you actually read his comments and listen to him, he's communicating wisdom to children, you know, on a big stage across the world. And I reiterate and I say over and over again, for as long as we continue to demonize the opportunity to understand and learn is missed. And the American penitentiary system and the draconian United Kingdom Uh, penal system we demonize in prison and then we demonize them when they get out and you know who suffers from that most of all is society sean because the wisdom the wisdom the priceless wisdom that people like you have got that i have got big herc have got wes watson have got the wisdom that we've got For all the people I explained earlier, the next generation academics and A, B, C and D, like I explained earlier, but children who are potentially going down the wrong path is just, it's priceless, you know. And um, so, yeah, I've been really impressed with them. And they were talking about, what were they talking about? What have I written here? Yeah, like Wes talks a lot about how there's a guy kicking it on the yard, you know, he's with his people, whatever racial group that is. I mean I'm constantly and consistently on a daily basis you know and I remain so right now until this moment Sean like just completely blown away at this racial segregation thing in America you know if I sit you know I can't sit with a black man or I will get smashed you know on a level 3 level 4 yard I I just, it blows my mind. It really does in the 21st century. Yet when Nelson Mandela says prison is a microcosm of society, that is something that I feel strongly in agreement with. And if you want to learn about a society, um, you know, and, and understand the measure of said society, then go into one of the prisons and observe the way said state treats a prisoner, and you'll get a you know a great microcosm into that society and so it is a microcosm of the racially divided american society and i find it i find it mind-blowing i find it very sad um but they wes watson would talk about um you got a guy in the yard he's kicking it with his homies they're on the bars you know they're with each other all the time and this could go on for years like seven years six years then one person turns up on the yard and says, I've got paper on him. And so in that instant, because <clears throat> the person he's got paper on, <clears throat> excuse me, knows that he knows. Yeah. So the reputation is gone immediately. And he's, he, he, he's gone because he, he's, he's going to get booked because it's going to be his own people who book him. So that reputation, he can't get it back. He, he can't, he, he just, it's impossible to, to, to get it back. So they go, if they're lucky enough to get out of there without getting smashed, they'll do it. I don't know if it happens at two in the morning in the American prisons that you hear them opening doors and they, they sneak off, they put a kite in on themselves. They put a kite in on themselves to get off the unit. But um, yeah, once that reputation is gone, it's very difficult to get back. And there's one thing that Robert act it's not even Robert Green. it's um uh, Friedrich nietzsche nietzsche yeah <clears throat> i mean some say greatest philosopher of all time my favorite uh, it is easier to cope with a bad conscience sean than with a bad reputation and when i read that earlier i was like it was difficult for me to kind of get my head around at first because in a sense that i don't like a bad conscience i hate it i like my conscience to be clean yeah i don't want to be thinking. About something that I've done. So I, in my daily life, I try and make skillful decisions, decisions that don't harm me. Yeah. It's very, very kind of simple logic, yeah. Skillful and not unskillful. So smoking crack cocaine is unskillful. Immersing myself in the service of others and activism for the greater cause of good, fairness, justice, equality for all, freedom from discrimination, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, is skillful. Yeah. So this is what I kind of try and do. But um, so I I hate having that bad conscience. I'm only human and, uh, you know, I make mistakes. I might, I I will often end up with a bad conscience with arguing with people because I've got a vicious tongue or I can have a vicious tongue. So I'll destroy you with words because of the difficulty in me dealing with the helplessness of not being able to use violence against you, which, I would have done 15 years ago. So I can, and then, and then I'll be left with the bad conscience of, 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 of you know, be in this way. And it's, weighing, it's like a burden on me. Um, and very controversial topic and nobody shoot me down. I don't support or not support. I just observe this person, but this person for me, that, that comment, uh, that quote from Nietzsche it is easier to cope with a bad conscience than with a bad reputation. This is something, in my opinion, that we have observed with controversial figure Tommy Robinson in his recent, um, what you would call, demise from Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, getting banned from all these networks and social media platforms, because as he rose up in power, you know, potentially uh, up into the fringes of the political arena this kind of global political arena, where he was then generating support as far as Australia, Canada, America, even in Congress, he was gaining support. Um, he he could never ever ever shake off the bad reputation of being in the BMP. He could just never shake it off, and he 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 white knuckled it for a few years, and you know, kind of got around it. But like I said, as he rose up. Um, he could never shake off, and I'm sure Tommy would have rather had, like what Nietzsche says, a bad conscience than the 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 bad reputation that he's now been that is constantly associated with him, with being in in, in the
0: BMP. Well put, and I think reputation, even with the YouTube channels. So you just cited Big Herc. You know, shout out to all those guys. Josh, 23-in-one lockdown, Mm. Joe, after prison show, big her Yeah, I love Joe, yeah. I love Joey. My mission is the same as their mission, which is to help other guys who've been to prison share their stories, Mm. get the feedback coming in and the comments and the support, seeing how that can help their lives. You've given your testimony today, which I thank you for, brother, because that helps my reputation with what I'm doing. Because there's always people out there Trying to sink your reputation. And I had a situation with my first podcast guest, Jamie Morgan Kane. He uh, his podcast now is at like a million views. And his clip, What if a shot caller puts a green light on you and False and Prisoners coming up, up for four million? For, yeah, coming, yeah. Up coming up for five million. Yeah. Every day I wake up, it's the most watched thing still. Incredible. So yeah. um I was accused. I've been in a criminal conspiracy with Jamie Morgan Kane to defraud the public out of five hundred pounds, which is like seven or eight hundred dollars. And I got hellfire
1: from all over the world. I was, I was telling Ben about it on the way here.
0: He's blown away. I was, I was doxed. I was dogpiled. Cyber attacked. big cyber league. attacked, Yeah, all my platforms. Mm. It was. It, it cost me thousands in legal fees and. Security increased fees and website losses and website re- restorations and hours and hours talk, calling banks and changing passwords and double, you know, double access whatever it's called security <laughs> access and yeah. um, this one I was getting the podcast off the ground and this like set me back man yeah. really set me back all these people just saying I was a scumbag criminal trying to just defraud the public. Having this guy on my podcast who's a complete phony—he's made up all his stories, all made up. Yeah. He's never been in the military. He's not even from England. Was, wasn't born in the island, man. Every single thing that he said—they said it was just complete and utter lies. And then, therefore, because I had him on my platform, I am now also the. the <laughs> it's my reputation goes down with his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I'd never experienced anything like that before in my life. Mm. I'm on this mission, like the other big channels, you know, help guys get out there, share the stories. Maybe it, it, it can it can help them give give a hand up in their lives. My other mission is drugs education for school kids. Mm. All these hackers took down all my resources for the schools, all this drugs education stuff. My website for Brendan Dassey and Stephen Avery, how to help those guys in prison. Yeah. That's that's dust. That's gone. I couldn't even afford to get that <coughs> all that stuff back up. Mm. So, um. It was like this huge challenge in my life. Here's my reputation now on the line because all these people all over the world are saying I'm just this crook trying to capitalize on a fake story, like as if that is why I'm on YouTube, is that is my purpose in life. But because I hadn't experienced it before, <clears throat> it, 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 I let it in. I let it in. I let it affect me emotionally. And my family were, you know, Seeing these death threats coming in, people are gonna shop at my talks and and kill me and my mum's getting upset and all this kind of thing. It's ricocheting through the family. And um So I promised everybody that I would see that there was an investigation into Jamie Morgan Kane's story. Yeah. And by the time this podcast goes up, I'm gonna have a response. Well the response will already be up about the investigation. Mm. So Jamie Morgan Kane submitted his book to one of the biggest publishers in the world, like a half a billion dollar company. If you are publishing a book, they look at every single thing that you write, and you go have paperwork to back it up, and they yeah. authenticate it. And um, <coughs> excuse me, he submitted six hundred pages of documents. Jamie Morgan Kane. He didn't just creep off into the shadows and say, yeah, my phone he submits 600 pages of documents and in four days time, his book is going to be published by that company because they have authenticated all these documents and what he said. Straight up, yeah. Yeah, so so, like I took all this personally, all this stuff coming in and it set me back on my my road because I was thinking my reputation is on the line. I've done this this investigation is done now I made the publisher aware that i was doxed and dogpiled and all the controversy around them to make sure you get all his paperwork and they did so where does that now make me stand in the in the international community and should i even care about my reputation i should according to nietzsche i think
1: two things the first thing i would say i mean just listening to you describe it i for, I wasn't emotionally involved in this situation, so I was a, an observer. But as I was telling Ben on the way here, you know, an unprecedented cyber attack from on not just that video, but all of your videos and all your channel or uh, a lot of your um, technology resources, death threats, gang rape threats, rape threats. I remember spending like two days like reading all the comments, yeah? and you had this wave not just a wave a tidal like waves and waves and waves of, of of this consistent attack on on your network on your youtube channel on um the 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 work that you've done in the past decade that that this tireless activism that you've been involved with and as well on your character your reputation your integrity and um it was yeah, it was phenomenal. I think two things. I think number one, with regards to you, and I, I mentioned it on a video uh, on my channel, I think the way that you dealt with it, I think it was a test. Everything happens for a reason. So we have faith that our lives are unfolding and Sean Atwood's life is unfolding the way it's meant to be unfolding in the exact correct order with the exact specific people that 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 is unfolding and happening yeah so we have some faith that it's meant to be but in a insane in an intense situation like that we can't always see the wisdom or the learning so I feel very strongly that it was meant to happen I think you showed incredible resolve resilience self-discipline at no point did you react and you've been very open there about and humble you've shown humility about how it affected you personally and you've allowed yourself to be vulnerable and you've said you know this has affected my mother and death threats i mean this is this is serious stuff these are crimes yeah um so to wrap up my first point i would say that and i said this on my video and i'll say it again here on the podcast you showed yourself to be the example of what you've been trying to achieve in your activism by your response as opposed to reacting to to what happened to you yeah um you know so i think you should be commended for that i think that 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 was it certainly inspired me because i could not have you know i just couldn't i i don't know i don't know i can't even think of anybody maybe dr nigel the the buddhist teacher like to not respond i mean I can respond to a couple of negative comments immediately. I mean, you had hundreds and hundreds of them. So I think you showed incredible character, resolve, dignity, grace. And, you know, that's the trick, isn't it, Sean? That's the trick. If we, if we, if we, can, show, if we can show grace and dignity in the face of unjust persecution, then in my, in my opinion, not something I read in a book or it's my lived experience, I, I believe that, that we will shine and I believe that you have shined, and I know you tried to interject that, but if I I may finish, like the second thing is, at the same time, despite all of what I've said, I think we have to respect um, the American military in the sense that um, they take it, and this is something that was a learning curve for me, Sean, um, on the subject of the American military and how very serious it is taken I'm not saying Jamie Morgan Kane did or didn't lie. I'm just emphasising the point that we. I think it's important to acknowledge um, how serious it is taken in the American military when somebody um, potentially is dishonest about being in the military if they haven't been. Yeah, um, I think that's important to acknowledge that... Um, it, 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 in America, when soldiers walk in a restaurant, people stand up and salute them and I think that's incredible and I think that we should do that here, yeah? Um, when I was in hospitality and I used to get soldiers come in, I used to treat them like gods because they are just incredible human beings so I think we should send love um, to the American military and, and, you know, just from across the pond
0: here in England. Well, I appreciate that People criticized and drew my attention and made me make extra sure about certain things and, and make sure there was an investigation. So I thank those people for instigating <clears throat> the investigation. I've spoken to Don Shipley by email. Don't have a problem with Don Shipley at all. He's got an impeccable record. Yeah. And I really um, you know, think what he's doing is brilliant with yeah. with, with you know out in these phony people who are capitalizing on stolen valor so and he's got
1: the farm and the charity or something yeah yeah he does, yeah, he does, he does well. all
0: kinds of work for veterans and you know most of my f- prison friends were veterans i raised money for t-bone who was a marine yeah um i've been watching br- a few of his videos bri- it, brilliant yeah. fellow so so you got Don saying one thing he's never been wrong and now you've got the publisher saying another thing which is opposed to some of what Don said so people who said things like Jamie Morgan Kane wasn't born in the UK two governments processed that to so deport him back to here there's just no way two governments are not gonna you know th- so there was a lot of outlandish claims made outside of what Don Shipley said so a lot of those outlandish cl- claims have been crushed by the authentication of Jamie's story by the publisher. Now, some people are going to say, because this investigation has produced these results that go against what Don Shipley says, I'm therefore going against Don Shipley, which I'm not. Mm. I actually think what would be interesting would be something <clears throat> like a um, a documentary mm. Titled like "Who is Jamie Morgan Kane?" <laughs> Were Don Shifley's interviewed? Yeah, we could do that. Man. <laughs> Jamie's interviewed. Yeah, the publisher is interviewed, mm. and everybody gives their perspective, and it's and it's researched even more. Perhaps you know, maybe the publisher's made some errors in in some areas. Maybe Don Shifley's made some errors in in some areas, mm. and maybe more information will will come to light. So. Presently, some people are going to be mad now. They're going to blame me because of this entity that I have nothing to do with <laughs> is authenticating the story. And they're going to try and crush my reputation again. And they're going to probably try and turn my YouTube channel into a battlefield <laughs> over Jamie Morgan came this, Jamie Morgan came that. So I'm just hoping that people will see I've got integrity. I've tried to do as much as I can from my side of the pond I didn't know what the results of this investigation were going to be by a legal department that's got millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, I don't have millions <clears throat> and millions of dollars to investigate Jamie's claims. I had no idea that they were going to, you know, authenticate all these documents. And um, that's what's happened. But now they're going to, I imagine, they're going to try and shoot the messenger some of the more hardcore people who are against him. Mm. So hopefully people will see I've done everything I possibly can. I'm absolutely against stolen valor. I support veterans. Yeah. And most of my friends in prison, it's sad. A few of them have died. Two Tonys was a veteran. Frankie was a veteran. Frankie died at the end of last year. I was speaking to him in the hospital when he's on his deathbed. Two Tonys died in 2010. He, he basically saved my life in prison. He was in the Navy. And um, I've gotten, you know, th- these are some of the, the people I've been closest to in my life have been veterans. So it's really sad. When I get attacked saying I'm putting a phony story out and trying to just make $800 off it and like that's going to make any difference in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's not nice to experience that persecution, but a lot of it ties into everything we spoke about on the podcast, Sean, you know, presence of mind, you know, keep your emotions um, on top of your emotions, respond as you have been doing through the entire of this situation and. Not react, and um you know everything happens for a reason. Just have some faith that that things are gonna things are gonna work out and 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 uh, you know one thing I didn't mention, but I think is important is to, w- during that those waves and waves and waves of cyber attacks <clears throat> excuse me the um your fan base did rise up. And every you know, your fan base did rise up. The grassroots, you know, long term, you know, Sean Atwood, um, the fan base rose up, and they, you know, wrote tons of positive comments. So that was nice. That was nice to see as well. And I think those people, and yeah, there was a few, you know, who had been around for a long time, you know, questioning stuff. But the all those comments that I read that were positive. I think I saw your integrity, saw that you didn't try and um, uh, have a conspiracy for 500 pounds and that um, and that, you know, you just took a man on good faith. You had no reason to to dispute anything he said. You you were you explained how you got in touch with him through a charity, a charity recommended him to you and um, you tried to help him you know you because you, what you've done to him you've done for me you, you know we set up the the go me for me that's been quite successful for me i've made friends um as far away as china um you know i've built great relationships with people um you know i've met a good friend in uh down there in uh a lady whose brother killed her uh, brother killed himself in prison i'll go i'll go and see her have coffee with her you know it's just yeah it's all positive you know what what you what you've done for me i think um I think the only thing that I would say um, from my observations, despite everything that I've said that's been positive, is, is he deleted his channel. He never ran that channel. J, J, he deleted he the he, channel, so it yeah, just kind he of made him look a bit guilty. He doesn't have the
0: technical skills <laughs> to, to do a channel. He, he, the internet bypassed him. That was a set up by um, people who support him out of London. Yeah. And their family um, got upset with all of the incoming waves of, i can Comments. imagine yeah
1: yeah yeah and i just you know I, that's you know understandable uh and uh you know i just reiterate what i said before sean which is to just you know just send you know tons and abundance of love over to america you know and i agree i i i, I, I you know i respect what don shipley you know does um, the charity work that he does, his military background. I've got the utmost respect for, you know, veterans. And, you know, unfortunately, we're not all the best communicators. You know, we can, some of us can have a frustrating way of, or an angry way of communicating, um, you know, and, you know, so yeah, we just, we just, we just show love and just send love, unconditional love in abundance, tons of it. There you go,
0: 48 laws of power, all we need is love. (laughs) We're on law five, so much depends on reputation. Just uh, coming to the end of this one now. So, when the serial home invader torture had his mate attack me when I was going to see my mum and dad, when they've flown 5,000 miles to visit me for Christmas, which I mentioned in one of the earlier laws in this podcast, all the prisoners stopped to see my reaction, because if I don't hit back, I'm a punk, if I do hit back, I'm showing heart, if you don't show heart, everyone's going to attack you, but I'm running risk here, because if I do hit back and the guards see it, I can get arrested, I can set, get sent to a prison within the prison, locked down, lose all my privileges, including my visits, and they can add more time onto my sentence, but in prison, if you become a punk, if your reputation gets that low, you're spending the rest of your time inside cleaning people's toilets, performing sexual services, and getting, <clears throat> getting rented out as a prison prostitute. Not nice. So I risked more time getting added to my sentence to preserve my reputation in that situation. Yeah. And if, if, you know, the gang tells you as soon as you go in, if someone calls you a punk, a bitch, or hits you... Fight on the spot, yeah. Fight on the spot. Show heart. Otherwise, everyone's going to attack you. So, if you're unfortunate to end up in prison, that's the rules of maintaining your reputation there. But in life as well, like I said from my own personal story of what happened with me on YouTube, whatever profession you are in, whatever line of business you are in, things will happen whereby your reputation comes under attack or your credibility falters. You can walk away from it, but it could make the situation far worse. So with Jamie Morgan Kane, I've only just recently brought Wildman up to speed on that whole situation. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want him, him thinking about it because he would have got mad. Yeah. And he might have started firing off some things that could have made things worse. So I told Wildman, look, here's what's happened. They ran it all down. And here's what's happened now. This publisher, 600 pages of documents, they're going to publish his book. They said that these papers aren't f- 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 uh, fakes they were saying that he'd faked his documents, publishers would find out if they'd faked the documents, He's, they're not fakes so I said to him, well, man, I'm going to put a video up saying here's what's happened but I fear that I might open a door now for another wave of people coming in to attack me but I feel I need to do it because I promised I would do it and yeah. if, I did, if I don't follow yeah. through, where's my reputation going to go and he said it would probably be best not to do it yeah. He said if you don't do it, then you're not going to get this second wave of attacks. But well, I feel that like my reputation is more important to risk getting those attacks than to not follow through and and, and and announce that. And yeah, just listening to you there your kind of desire and
1: willingness to want to do the video um kind of against the fre- the advice of your best friend is 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 in my opinion, just listening to you there and watching you, um, it is born from a sincere place and a genuine uh, place of integrity in my opinion because you just want to, you kind of felt that you've promised people and, you know, I've seen the comments, so like the people ask for about about it and you say like um, it's coming soon and you, you've kind of like promised them so I understand that why you kind of want to do that. Um, I do see the benefit in what Wildman is saying in the sense that Kind of seems to have calmed down a bit, uh, or a lot. It, is, it has calmed down a lot. Um, people don't really talk about it anymore. Things change. Um, let it go. Move on. Um, so I can, so I can, I can kind of. And in the danger of, you know, a secondary wave of attacks. But I think it's, I think it's, I think it's. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's. If you feel that you want to do the video, then yeah, do the video. Just, going out this week. <laughs> yeah. Presence of mind. <laughs> presence of mind. Um, have faith. Presence of mind. Everything happens for a reason. And whatever happens, I'm sure, you know, whether it, it, it goes as well as you ex- hope for or goes uh, not as well as you expected, I'm sure there's learning uh, and character growth to be um, earned from it in some way, shape, or form, even though you might not potentially see it at the time. And lots of and, firewall growth yeah <laughs> yeah and um you know everything happens for a reason sean it you just never know where it's going to lead it might take you i said this to you from day one when i spoke to you from on the phone on bournemouth beach months ago when it was all kicking off and it was just insane every day like on, on youtube just absolutely mental um you know i said that everything happens for a reason you know this this is it's just meant to be it's meant to happen um you know it in it, it, it's, it's it's difficult to kind of practice that 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 kind of belief in that kind of um, order of unfolding events when when you're on the receiver it's all right for me to say it, but when you're on the receive receiving end of it all that kind of hardcore um stuff that was happening and the the viciousness and the, th- the threats of violence but um the righteous man will always shine like the noonday sun, brother. That is not something I read in any book. That is my <laughs> life experience, my lived experience. So just keep, Thanks, keep, keep going, and I'm sure that you you will shine.
0: Appreciate that, man, from the heart. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, and I mean it sincerely and genuinely. Yeah. So we're
0: at the end of this podcast now. Yeah, we've done all five laws. There's forty-eight. So we've got plenty more podcasts to go here, brother. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Now, I'm sure you might have read most of the comments on your clip that's at Quarter Million. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you would like to say in response to the comments on your video, which is um, UK Prison Horror Stories, and the link is in the description box below this video. If you've not seen Pepsi's first podcast on this channel, just go down there and click over. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people who've made the comments Not much, really, to be honest, Sean, just because I did uh, a trio of
1: videos um, after that, which was responding to the comments. The only, you know, so all the information's in there, really. The only thing that I would say, and then I'll just talk quickly, kind of briefly, about what that's led to, is the... um, So when I did the trio of videos uh, from the comments in the podcast i kind of did like some of a thematic analysis and kind of extracted the main kind of themes that were in, within the comments um and i spent a lot of time going through them and you know thank you for all the comments to everybody i appreciate all the comments positive and negative um appreciate the time people's took to to, to write those comments and invest in me in the time in w- watching our podcast together so thanks thank you to everybody um but um The main thing that I would mention here is the utter shock, disbelief, horror and anger from people, not just in the United Kingdom, but all over the world at the realization that prison officers were betting on the suicides of children in youth custody in England. Um, just absolute shock, horror, and disbelief. Um, I'm inundated as a result of this with a lot of messages. Um, I'll I get a lot of messages. I got a, a message from a guy a couple of days ago called Carl, who's in Heathrow. Shout out to Carl. We're going to meet up soon, have coffee. He was in Feltham. what, 25, 30 years ago. Um, I think men don't talk about this stuff, but I, I, I get lots of messages from, PTSD sufferers, sex abuse sufferers, mental health sufferers, um, you know, who who might not have been in prison, but they can relate to um, some of the stuff that I was talking about. And it's very powerful. And I'm embracing these connections with other people. But with regards to my activism, it's really fired me up, Sean, to tackle and confront and address this issue of the embedded decades-long centuries in America, decades and decades and decades, embedded cultural problem in youth custody environments of abuse against children and the embedded disease of institutional racism, which was very much rife, active and thriving in the racist murder of Zaheed Mubarak, in Felton, um, who was murdered as a result of games of Colosseum that prison officers were having fun with for sadistic kicks and betting on the outcome of putting a known racist in a in a cell, a child um, with an Indian or an Asian black person um, or you know ethnicity. Um, And what they were also doing, Sean, they were putting a known sex offender in a double cell with a child who'd been a victim of sexual abuse and betting on the outcome. And again, I reiterate, utter shock, horror. Um, And I'll be totally honest with you. And, uh, you know, I must say I'm not here to demonize prison officers. What I will say, you know, I'm in touch with many prison officers. Um, I've got a lot of faith and hope because we have to have hope hope is very important, you know, that the next generation of prison officers can can make a difference and they are making a difference. I support the Prison Officers Association. I I support the chair. Um, But what I will say is that time and time again, when we hear these stories of abuse, Sean, whether it's in the mental health sector, um, you know, like we've seen recently with all these videos coming out in the private mental health sector of, of this horrendous abuse against vulnerable people, social services, prisons, institutions, you know, um, we hear the narrative that there's good and bad in every profession. Well, that may or may not be the case, but in my opinion, um, any institution which has a responsibility um, of safeguarding and care over vulnerable adults and children, there is no place for abuse against those people. And anybody who, who... chooses to ignore that should, in my opinion, feel the full force of the law and modern thinking academics and modern thinking up and coming future political legislators need to grab a hold of what I'm saying here and start to implement this stuff because without accountability, we, we can never have justice. And when I'm studying Khalif Browder, the Central Park Five, I mean, oh, th- these cases man. are just blowing my mind. It's the 21st century. These cases are blowing my mind. Anybody who watches Khalif Browder four part series on Netflix four hours and doesn't have tears in their eyes. I mean, you've got a screw loose. There's something wrong with you. Many people I spoke to can't even watch it. They, can't, they turn it off after an hour and a half. Big Herc said to me last night on Instagram, it made me sick inside um, reading about, because I think he read about it before he saw it on Netflix, reading about the Khalif Browder and I was watching some footage yesterday of Khalif Browder and do you know what Khalif Browder I was watching Jay Z talk about Khalif Browder how he's a prophet and prophets come in many different ways you know Martin Luther King um, and Khalif Browder's love will and legacy will will live on Um, and I think they shut Rikers Island right they shut it
0: is it in the process of being shut I'm not sure if it's shut
1: and and President Obama um, as a result of Khalif Browder's legacy. Um, banned um, isolation for children, yeah? And that inspired me. So Khalif Browder, um, his legacy, um, and the Central Park Five. But Khalif Browder, I've just got, I don't know, I've just got like a, I can't find the words, Sean, like a inspiration, overwhelming sadness, shock. um, And it's really inspired me and fired me up to embark on yet another mission, another one of my missions, to continue in my activism um, with the British government and hopefully to work with the British government to have Feltham Young Offenders Institution bulldozed brick by brick um, in memory of Zaheed Mubarak because it's a cesspit of humanity um, and they should do England a favour and bulldoze the place and build some nice flats there with a nice park, with a nice water
0: fountain or something. <laughs> That's commendable, and the most evil person in the world award goes to the prosecutor, Central Part 5, ruined these innocent boys' lives, and to this day, she's, even though they were exonerated and horrific things happened to them in prison, even to this day she's saying, well, they got the, the guy who did it, but they were probably <clears throat> with him. Yeah, she's protecting
1: her, um, her, her, her pension. She's also, going back to Law 5, her reputation. I mean, it's kind of a uh, damage limitation for her. For me, on that point about the Central Park Five, Sean, I am very, very optimistic and strong in faith that the legacy and the, the story, legacy, this, you know, big shout out to Netflix, commend Netflix on the Central Park Five, I feel that the Central Park Five legacy can be and will be and should be the trigger for a new breed of 21st century civil rights movement and generating awareness of the fact that the American penitentiary system and the UK prison system is specifically designed and structured and built in a manner and a way which specifically targets young African Americans disproportionately and abuses them, and other ethnicities, and abuses children. And that—that that is my hope. That is my hope that the, the Central Park Five story will inspire um, this 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 kind of revolution um, in a new movement. And and I believe that we. As a movement, can make that happen. I believe that that can
0: happen. Have you watched the original documentary about them, or just the more recent one on Netflix? I've been studying the case quite closely,
1: and I've been—I've only seen the one on Netflix—and then I've been studying. What was that one called? It's called uh, Why.
0: Why can't you see us? Yeah. Why can't you see us? You watched yeah. that whole one. Yeah, and I've well, just been
1: studying kind of their adult life, and I was particularly interested in the guy who was just abused in, 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 the, in the done all the isolation. Um, Co- Co- uh, Cody, Co- oh, I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, just p- particularly, uh, absolute masterclass from Netflix, masterclass. I mean, it's shown the power of filmmaking. I mean, this can, you know, like like I said, I hope it will trigger something massive. You know, um, w- w- with regards to to, I I mean, I just can't get my head around it. I I. I I was very emotional watching Khalif Browder, very emotional. And I haven't felt like that. There's only been a handful of times when I felt like that in my life. And one of them was when I watched the three-part series on uh, Stephen Lawrence. And I don't know if I was naive. I mean, I grew up in these prisons. Uh, I've been on wings, you know. There's like three or four white people on the wing or whatever. But um, I just can't fathom or grasp or comprehend or understand how how you can murder somebody because of the colour of their skin, Sean. I just can't get my head around it.
0: What got me equally enraged was the West Memphis 3 and also Making a Murderer Season 1. They just blew my mind, all of those. But it's great that Netflix is raising such awareness on these issues. Mm. Yeah. Right, so, all of Pepsi's links are in the description box below this video. It's got a donation page if you want to, Continue to help support him, rebuild his life. We've got links for his channel. Please go over to his channel and subscribe and support Pepsi. From the original video, that's up to quarter million views. Pepsi has, at each point as it's been rising up, Pepsi's done individual videos, commenting on the comments and the rise of the views. So if you want to see all of his feedback on the original video, those videos are on his channel as well. You can find it all over there on his channel. Is there any other ways people out there in the world can help you?
1: Uh, well, I'll, I'll fire you like all my links over in the email. If you put them in the description, that's absolutely fantastic. Of course. yeah. Um, other ways people can help me. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to help others at the moment. So, that's kind of, the way you can help me do that is to, yeah, just reach out, out to me. I'll always respond to everybody who gets in touch with me, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, or YouTube comment. Um, there's a guy has been contacting me the last few days, Tommy Bateman. Uh, said he's got like severe PTSD, spent five years in prison, um, but he's been out for 11 years now. So um, yeah, shout out to Tommy. Um, email me, I'll get back in touch with you. Just keep, yeah, that's that, that would be what I'd say to people who would like to help me. Just, uh, yeah, reach out to me. Just reach out to me. If you're in London, I'll come and meet you. Um, just embracing all of it. Embracing. Love, uh, you know, I've always got Oyster. I can get to you. Um, what about a shout-out to your chauffeur, Ben, who
0: brought you here tonight? Yeah, cheers, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: We're working on some stuff together. We're doing like – um, we're Ben and I are going to be doing a trio of 20-minute documentaries – um, i won't lift the lid on the, the topics yet but they're <laughs> they're interesting topics they're, they're, they're not um not really well they are kind of crime and justice i suppose but um yeah interesting topics so we just want to get that on the road experience of documentary making and filmmaking interviewing people getting out at night with cameras and the lights and stuff and um getting some slow motion footage and I put uh, time lapse footage and just playing around with the editing. And uh, yeah, just so yeah, we're going to be working on that, Ben and I, three, three 20 minute uh, documentary. So that, that, that'll that be something
0: to look forward to on my channel. You've got momentum, man. I wish you continued success, brother. <laughs> oh, cheers, Sean. Yeah, yeah, Thanks a fun. lot, man. Nice yeah, one. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah.